0: I want to tell you people a few things tonight. Number one, I accepted the job as commissioner of the WSCW. And I'll tell you why I accepted the job as commissioner. It's because I love professional wrestling. I love real professional wrestling. I love real pain. I love real desire. I love real dedication. And most of all is that I love the real personalities in professional wrestling, not the personalities, the paper tigers that are created by the powers to be. Now, as far as the NWO is concerned, you're just a bunch of fat hogs following along behind the slop wagon. Except Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara are not throwing out slop. They're throwing out easy money. What I would like to do to Vince Russo and Ed Ferrari is stick a sky rocket up their exhaust and blow their damn brains out. But I can't do that without help. I need help. I needed an enforcer. And I want that enforcer to come down Come on down! Arn Anderson! All oh, things are getting good, yes. guys! And they stand here in Greenville and
1: they chew anywhere across the world. As Arn Anderson is pulled down by the new commissioner as his enforcer! Double A is back! Championship Wrestling, thanks to Terry Funk, the new commissioner. And you watch Terry Funk as commissioner. Things are going to change. Things are going to be bizarre, guys. Bizarre. Hey, you, you thought they were strange lately? You ain't seen nothing yet. But well, things are changing already. If you would look, look at the security lining in the ring. They're members of the security. Look, look at the yellow security. And you know what that scores, the I do. That is a show of force from the commissioner for WCW right towards the NWO and the power of the game. Bobby!
0: Yes, sir, you can have this right now. Do you hear that in the back? Powers that be. And if there's ever been an oxymoron, that's one. This is real emotion. I'm looking at a lot of familiar faces around this arena. Greenville, South Carolina, Terry. Some of them are saying, I grew up on that guy. Some are saying, I love that guy, that's when wrestling was great. Some are saying, I hated that guy, I wished he was dead. But it's all real emotion because I earned it by dumping a gallon of my blood all over this arena on any given night. That's something you don't know anything about, Ferrara. Fence Russo, because I didn't script it with a pen and I didn't erase it with an eraser. I gave these people all the blood and guts I had every time they saw me. That's the reason I can walk through these dressing rooms and not look over my shoulder, and I don't have to live in an ivory tower and send people down like Nash and Scott Steiner and Brad Hart and Jeff Jarrett to do my bidding. I'm man enough. To do what I want to do. So is Terry Fuck. Somebody recognized that when you fired me and they put me back to work. Guys like you have been trying to get rid of guys like me. They just never had the guts to do it face to face.
2: Hello and welcome to the Wrestling Twenty Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara, starting a brand new year here on The Wingding. WCW is our thing today. I have Bob calling with me. Bob, how are we, my friend?
3: I am battling a cold, Rory, but nothing will prevent me from talking about WCW sold out 2000.
2: It must be catching. I had a cold during our... December 99 show it must be something uh, WCW must make people ill or something oh, I don't know I'm just probably that one out there <laughs> probably, they probably are with what they've been pointing out lately <laughs> definitely something in the air uh, just in case you've missed them our other two shows for January you've got our WWF show looking at the Royal Rumble and WCW is guilty as charged but we are World Championship Wrestling and we're going to waste no time cracking right into the very first Nitro of the year 2000 in which a new commissioner was announced because everybody's got to have an authority if they got on screen these days uh bill bush himself didn't deem it worthy enough of making an appearance but his spokesperson whose name i've already forgotten did and charisma free he might have been he just about managed to get his lines out to announce our new commissioner who you would have heard at the beginning of the show was none other than terry funk Terry Cutter's usual impassioned promo about the reality of wrestling and how much he lives this stuff. One we've heard many times before. One I haven't quite grown tired of just yet. And then he introduced his own right-hand man who's going to guide him through proceedings. Well, he did for the next three weeks anyway. Spoiler alert. And that was none other than Mr. Arn Anderson. So Terry Funk and Arn Anderson, our on-screen commissioner team, they... Sets and matches for sold out. We will get to those and why they didn't happen a little bit later on. But, Bob, let's crack right into this one. I remember on our show where we looked at November to remember 1998, you said then that Terry Funk, yes, Terry Funk, was a source of go-away heat for you. Has your view mellowed over the last year and a bit? And what do you think of him in this commissioner role, as brief as it eventually turned out to be?
3: Um... That's a good question. I think Go Away Heat kind of pertained to ECW just because he had done so much. I did hate all that Tommy
2: Dreamer stuff. It was,
3: yeah. oh, it was so
2: cloying. It was horrible. Yeah,
3: like, you know, the whole father figure, uh, oh, yeah, you're, you're my good. son type of nonsense. Oh, not it, good. Yeah, it didn't really connect with me very well. Um, In terms of, like, being in WCW, if he has Go Away Heat, um, no, I, I, mean, I didn't really feel repulsed or anything or... Uh, <laughs> You know, wanting to turn off the television that he was there. I mean, a change of scenery is good for the guy. Like I said, I mean, he would have been in ECW, uh, by at least by 98 cents for about five years off and on. And accomplished everything. And like the angle that you mentioned with Dreamer, wasn't very good. So I think if you're put in a spot to where it could be potentially entertaining, it's different. Um, I've never been a fan of I – mean, I don't think Terry Funk's retired. I don't consider him a retired athlete, even though he's retired – about 150 times forever yeah in the last 12 (laughs) years or whatever it's been um but i've never liked it when a a rustler is the authority figure or somehow has the ability to control the program i feel like that should be a non-competitor um it's just kind of lazy writing to me so and especially as you noted how short it is and we'll probably get into that a little later uh It just seemed like there was no real plan for it. I don't know if this is the right way to bring him back into the fold as a, you know, commissioner or authority figure. I don't know how that was even justifiable to bring him in. Kim kind of comes out of nowhere about it. Um, But for me, there's a lot of different fresh matchups, which is odd to say because, you know, Terry Funk is like 60 years old. 54, be fair.
2: 54, excuse me. A mere slip of a thing at 54.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
3: well, excuse me. Uh, But there's many different matches that you could do. Uh, You could even do kind of, you know, uh, retro matches, which probably isn't the right approach to go to because I will always kind of compare it to your competition. You know, Funk against, uh, you know, let's say Ric Flair or something is pretty great in 1989 or 1990 or whichever the case is or even the, earlier in the 80s. But when you revert back to it, if they were to in 2000, or like Terry Funk against Lex Luger, or something crazy like that in 2000, isn't going to really resonate very well when you're going up against the likes of The Rock against Triple H, or Cactus Jack against Triple H in a you know street fight, which is exactly. kind of a competition for this month. So you're kind of reverting back to what worked 11 years ago, and you're never going to generate The same success because when people age in wrestling some twelve years older, uh, they tend not to necessarily work at the same level. So um it maybe it would be good for fans that like the nostalgia and like the you know, the older guys coming in, but I think in the grand scheme of things it's just not gonna really be beneficial for the company.
2: Mm, Without wanting to spoil things too much, we're gonna talk about this. From what I've been able to tell, Terry Funk is now effectively a member of the full time roster. So we will be seeing him in the ring as long as he wants to. So mark him down for the next 50 years or so by the sound of it. I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. Was it 20 retirements and he's still going strong? Yeah. But Terry Funk retirement is just something he does between matches. Let's be honest about that. (laughs) Uh, Pretty much. (laughs) Bringing him in as commissioner was a rather odd move. And I wonder if the decision they eventually made just two weeks later, somebody in the back thought that holding... Terry Funk as a position on-air authority didn't really fit him. It made an excellent fist of the promo. Like I said, it's pretty much old hat for Terry Funk saying how much and they say, this is pro wrestling, this is his life, we do it real here. He could recite that promo in his sleep, and he probably does. I did wonder if Arn <coughs> would have been a slight... <laughs> I love Terry Funk. I think he's the greatest of all time, so I'm allowed this. But I do wonder <laughs> if Arn might have been a better choice for the pure on screen commissioner role I don't know he, he's very busy throughout the month too as we will see but any any excuse I get to see Terry Funk on my television screen I'm going to take it but somebody out there making matches I'm not too sure about it plus the fact Bob you and I have already talked about this before on previous shows It's maybe it's because of our far familiarity with ECW perhaps but the on screen commissioner figure be they face or heel I'm Getting increasingly tired of it now in general. Sure, it's happening. You know, it's, it's, it's WWE had to have one because WWF did, ECW have for many years. Now you don't need to do that. We don't need somebody on screen making the matches, and whether they're a good guy or a bad guy, you just know that they are going to be biased against the guys on the other side of the delineation anyway. So it's it's Terry Funk. It's something new. It's a way to debut him. It's not how we finish the month, as we will. See. Well, you know, I think I think yes, you son. could I think you could use one like you
3: look back in, you know, some 10 years ago with uh, Jack Tunney. I mean, yeah, the thing, guy wasn't he wasn't on television every day exactly. or every week or anything. He was usually there for, you know, an announcement or a contract sign or whichever. Yes. But what's happened now is it's such a crutch that you almost have a commissioner or an owner, or a matchmaker, whatever the case is, almost like in every segment or exactly. he's you know the vocal point of the entire show. Um, so I, it's a horrible crutch. You should just have your programming. this a natural, you know, good guy versus bad guy confrontation. And you can utilize, you know, some like a vice president guy, you know, like a Bill Bush could have been similar to a Jack Tony and been like, Hey, you know, you guys need to settle this at, you know, whatever pay-per-view and just have it be very minimal and keep it to wrestling. But, you know, the, the show gets very crowded when you're, so re- relying on a, an authority figure that it just kind of gets annoying, and uh, for me, I know I lose interest oftentimes in what even is going on because it's just like, well, this guy is gonna end up making the match, or you know, he's gonna side with the heels if it's a heel
2: and babyface and vice versa. So you have to have that neutral act. Uh, that's the thing with Jack Tunney. He was pretty neutral. We didn't see him very often. Uh, Nobody particularly wanted to see him because he had the charisma of a brick. But every time he did appear, because it was so sporadic, it was for something important. Yeah. Uh, he, he was there during all the Undertaker Hogan stuff at the end of just, just, just You could just pick anything important in the WWF title picture. He was involved. Otherwise, you can't really link him to anything else. And that's what they should be. They should feel like, I'm going to use the word, authority. Uh, they wield their authority only when it is needed, when nobody else can come to a decision. Well, according to I- Bad News Brown, he did uh, accept sexual advances from Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, I like that Bad News Brown savage feud. Anyway, that's a good match <laughs> on Saturday night's main event. <laughs> Maybe we'll go back and do a Saturday night's main event special one day. Um, <laughs> Uh, you're moving on from authority figures to somebody who I don't know how often we're going to be seeing him again, and that is the curse of Bret Hart in World Championship Wrestling continues, I'm afraid to say. We did see him at the start of the month, a match against Funk and a match against Nash, of all people, the following week on Nitro, and he was due to wrestle at Sold Out. However, if you go back and listen to our December 99 with Chris, we were talking about the whack in the head he got from Bill Goldberg during the title match at Starcade and we hadn't quite seen the last edition of the sheets for 99 at that time. So we were speculating that he might have suffered some sort of concussion and it turned out that he did. But of course, Brut Hart, being the old school guy that he is, he just used the old school technique of settling, settling a concussion, i.e. a glass of scotch and a good night's sleep. He might well have had the scotch, but the good night's sleep he has not got for a very long time. He didn't feel better the next day when, of course, he faced Goldberg again on Nitro. Didn't feel better the next week when he was in a hardcore match with Terry Funk. Didn't feel better the week after. Finally got it checked out with a professional doctor and he has been told to effectively desist from any form of wrestling. He's still appearing on TV. You know, he hasn't left World Championship Wrestling or anything, but... The fact Bret Hart, of all people, had to relinquish the title. And unlike certain other people who may have fallen into his orbit over the last few years, I don't think Bret is necessarily one to give up titles unless he necessarily needs to. Yes, I'm still going there. But in all seriousness, Bob, it's uh, how many more examples of this do we need with Bret and WCW over the last two and a bit years? The poor guy just can't catch a break. And this is probably, well, other than the t- terrible events of last May, this could be the worst one of them all. Possibly career-threatening, we've heard in some quarters.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, the guy, when he came in in uh, November of 97 until you know now, in January 2000, the company never really knew what to do with them. They never really knew how to utilize them. It was just a matter of, you know, you want that prize possession and you have all these ideas for it. And then once you get that prize possession, you're just like, well, wait, what do I do with it now? Uh, you, you know, insert all the political nonsense with Hogan and maybe even Flair to a degree and nash and hall and all those guys uh but i think it was a it was a losing battle i mean the guy made millions of dollars uh essentially be, being treated for the majority of the duration as a mid-card act upper yeah. mid-card act at best uh i don't know how many times that Bret Hart went from baby face to heel baby face to heel sometimes it happened two times in the same show uh, <laughs> yes. so it would be just ridiculous uh it's truly unfortunate that the last few years of his career uh was subjected to this i mean obviously he had some great matches even a a couple months ago with uh, benoit both on nitro and at uh, mayhem uh leading into Starcade and the end of the year where he ended up getting hurt um but you know it's just such a level of disappointment because you know everybody remembers uh you know how great he was in the WWF. How many different guys that he made. He had great matches with people you never thought would have great matches. You know, insert Kevin Nash in that conversation. Survivor Series '95. That's a oh, great match. It is. You know, um, and he could have done the same thing here with WCW. Uh, you know, especially when you look at you know '99 with you know I know he had like matches with Booker T and you know he might have had a couple with Benoit as well, uh, but I don't I, I, just, I don't think they ever. Really wanted to put him in the main event, and I think it's guys with like you know Hogan and stuff like that. I think it was maybe ego driven because Bret was kind of seen as the next guy up for WWF, and I think Hogan never really believed in that or supported that, and to an extent the WWF didn't for a while. Um, but Bret Hart will always be one of my favorite wrestlers ever. I mean, there's there's just not a match where I sit down, and it's Bret Hart, and I'm like, wow, that was awful. You know, there's usually some redeeming quality to it. Um, screw Bill Goldberg for not knowing how to do a work kick and uh, wanting to basically, you know, destroy his temple. Uh, and, you know, you look at the reports of some of the house shows here, just to add some salt to the wound, they had him, as you mentioned, working with Terry Funk on uh, on Thunder, and that was a hardcore match, knowing <sighs> that the guy oh, no. had uh, head issues. And then on some of these house shows, he's apparently working with, like, Sid Vicious. So you're not really adding uh, much, you know, cushion here because he probably, no, he did. He he took uh, choke slams from uh, Sid Vicious on these shows. (laughs) So clearly WCW is just like, oh, it's just a headache. And uh, have fun out there, bud. So uh, it's really unfortunate. Who knows? Maybe Brett can come back at some point. Uh, get refreshed. I mean, concussions tend to be obviously, I mean, career enders. I mean, it happened uh, for various uh, football players uh, throughout the years, like Steve Young and stuff like that. Um, but who knows? You never know. I hope this isn't the end of it, but I kind of hope he doesn't come back to WCW because this has been just horrible. Maybe Vince McMahon will give him a call, get him to rest up, and then he'll take care of him in the WBF. and maybe in a couple years, maybe he just needs a couple years off and uh, he'll return.
2: Yeah, a couple of years off. I, good luck telling Bret Hart that. <laughs> it just won't happen. I mean, much like Terry Funk, it just won't happen. It probably should do. And at least he has listened to medical advice here. Because if anybody wouldn't, it would just shrug it off. No. This is a person who was stretching into the dungeon, everybody, for many, many, many years. Tiger. Now he's finally listened to reason and he's stepped away from the ring. We don't know for how long, but we should take it while we can. If this does turn out to be the end or something very close to the end for Bret Hart these days, I think now is a good opportunity just to have a quick look back at where it went wrong for him in WCW, and it was pretty much in the very second he turned up. <laughs> he couldn't, as far as World Championship Wrestling storylines are concerned, he could not have appeared at a worse time because he is there showing up in the middle of you know, end of November, beginning of December, when they are just about ready to go home with Hogan versus Sting. Now, the match they've been building for 18 months. Okay, how Hogan Sting ended up, the less said about that, the better. But we didn't know that at the time. Uh, and I remember we talked about it on the shows how curious we found it that they were debuting Brett on pay per view as the referee in a match between Eric Bischoff and Larry Zabisco. Uh, at the, no, I'm not going to try to defend that choice. I didn't then, and I'm not now, two years on. But they didn't really have a place to fit him in. And he does the this isn't going to happen again thing. He gets to race Sting's hand. Okay. He has that good match. There's a little disappointment. He's had a good match with Flair at sold out 98. And then I had to actually go back and look up some of the things he'd actually done up until he turned heel the day after Spring Stampede 98. And he sides with the NWO. He's not an NWO member. He's just hanging out on the ropes while Hogan cuts his 20-minute promos. And then from Bob, as you say, he's just switching back pretty much every single month uh, he's resting for the US title and I'm like really now you've got long long past Hogan's thing that's well in your rearview mirror now you can elevate the guy they never really did it obviously what happened to Owen happened last year but just finally they have him as a babyface which he should be he is the world champ and then it idiotically reformed the NWO the day after Starcade. we talked about that one last month and now it ends up like this it They've managed to screw up the unscrew upable. I feel like if you go back through any of our WCW shows since the end of 97, you are, you can go back up and pick up the through line of how they misused Bret Hart. This could be the final denouement now. Uh, his health is more important than anything. He is the sort of person you would probably need to tell twice, three times, maybe four times that his health is more important than getting back in the ring. Uh, I hope this is the wake-up call that he finally takes heed of it's just a shame if, if we don't see him in the ring again now he's if Terry Funk is the greatest of all time then Bret Hart is my favorite of all time and I'd be very sad to see him finally hang up the boots from a selfish perspective but if he's con- a concussion it sounds it just sounds like something you can shrug off. And as you say, Bob, it would not surprise me at all if there were people there in the front office at WCW who probably do equate it with a headache. You know, take a couple of these paracetamol, and you'll be fine in the morning type of thing. Not so. And just, I might as well mention it now, they show it at the very start off, sold out 2000. They very slow motion, the kick that he sustained right in the temple from Goldberg. They show it from about three separate angles oh just not good at all but Brett if you're listening to this it's a pro wrestling related thing so you might be but please get well soon put yourself first and hopefully we'll see you in some capacity soon but at last everything that's happened to your family you now this business isn't worth it at the end of the day your health must come first This business isn't worth it, so Bob, we're now going to spend the next hour talking about a pay-per-view event that we all plonked down, oh yes, 29-95-4. Back on the 16th of January, we sat down to watch Sold Out 2000. What results did we get? All right, well,
3: everybody, enjoy this one. Here we go. Uh, Billy Kidman defeated Dean Malenko in a catch-as-catch-can match. Vampiro defeated David Flair in Crowbar in what was billed as a triple threat match. Big Vito and Johnny the Bull defeated the Harris Brothers in a tag team match. Oklahoma won the WCW Cruiserweight Championship when he defeated Medusa. God help us. Brian (laughs) Knobs retained the WCW Hardcore Championship when he defeated Fit Finley, Norman Smiley, and Meng in a fatal four-way match. Billy Kidman defeated Perry Saturn in a bunkhouse brawl. Booker T defeated Stevie Ray by disqualification. Tank Abbott defeated Jerry Flynn. Buff Bagwell defeated Diamond Dallas Page in a last man standing match. The Wall defeated Billy Kidman in a caged heat match. Kevin Nash became the WCW commissioner when he defeated Terry Funk in a hardcore match. And the main event, which featured Arn Anderson as the special guest referee, Chris Benoit, defeated Sid Vicious by submission
2: to win the vacant WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Don't get used to that. Bob, your thoughts on Sold Out 2000, your opening opinions.
3: Well, uh, a lot of things changed, obviously, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. Uh, various injuries happened with both Brett and uh, Mr. Jeff Jarrett. So the uh, card was a bit ruffled up a little, uh, a little bit here, changed up, which is always subject to change, so we can't get mad. Uh, luckily, they gave us a rundown to let us know what exactly we were watching. But, uh, you know, coming into this, my level of interest was not, not really there. Um, just the layout for this show, a lot of, like, the undercard that we talked about, or I mentioned right now, uh, nothing really grabs at you. And uh, the upper card stuff, maybe aside from Bagwell DDP, felt kind of thrown together. I guess Nash and Funk, 2 had some build to it. But it um, sold out 2,000. Um, not really a, a great start for WSW uh, pay-per-views, pay-per-view
2: business-wise, I would say. I would agree with that. It's a shame that Dan had to pull out of being on the show this month because he and I have got a bit of a running gag going. The greatest sold out of all time. If you go back <laughs> and to our still- the third annual sold out easily the best standing in <laughs> great competition. I think this one slides in just behind 99, maybe joint with 98. I mean, sold out 97 is in a field of its own, is it not? Sure. Absolutely. That's, that, that's, this doesn't probably tried quite hard at times. It's certainly one match, as we'll get to. Didn't quite plumb the depths of sold out 97, but very few pay-per-views outside of King of the Ring '95 really descend to that level, but uh, this one was a lot closer. Or maybe Halloween Havoc last year—that was another very bad one. Not quite as poor, but uh, we're going to struggle to pick out some highlights. But over the next hour or so, we will do our best for you. Let's get to it. So, uh, the commentary team clue us in on the concussions for both Bret Hart, as we've talked about, and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Jeff sustained his after taking a top-of-the-cage diving headbutt from Benoit last week on Nitro. And again, they slow it down. You can see they collided head-on, too. There's way too much of this. So Jarrett does not compete on this show as originally scheduled. Uh, we see footage from earlier of the revolution beating up Conan. And then our team run through every match on the card, as you've mentioned, Bob. And boy, are there a lot of stipulations. There's not much money put into the graphics, though. <laughs> There's no room to breathe as Vampiro <sighs> gets attacked by Crowbar and David Flair. But our first match is the opener in Kidman's triple threat theatre against Dean Malenko in a catch as catch can match. Uh, heenan name checks meeting Pete Rose backstage. Isn't he tied up elsewhere? Uh, so then, not much to talk about in our first match. Our corner lockup goes nowhere, but Dean takes control after the second. Armoring a locked on and a lovely takedown into a head scissors. Kidman kicks out of it but gets pulled away from beating on Dean in the corner. Kidman misses a drop kick but he rolls through it off a jackknife attempt malenko then bails to the outside to regroup and per the rules where you're not allowed to leave the ring uh that's the end of the match apparently the only people who seem to know this ends the match are the commentary team so they got something right for a change stopped clock and all that malenko then just gets back into the ring as normal but only then a few seconds later does the bell ring and then kidman is announced the winner Also, Bob, they actually played to the rules, but uh, I don't think it was meant to happen quite that way. Absolutely not. You can tell that I think it's Charles Robinson
3: kind of tells Malenko, hey, man, it's over because you went out. And I think Malenko's face kind of tells it all. He's just like, oh, my guy forgot the rules of the match. I don't know why for the Cruiserweight division that you would even have this type of match. Now, I understand (laughs) that. Yeah, Malenko doesn't do high-flying stuff. You know, he does that pretty cool, you know, middle rope, uh, gut buster type of thing, which isn't to the floor. But, you know, Kidman sometimes will do a shooting star press to the floor or something, something crazy. So you're automatically limiting these guys. You're limiting uh, Malenko as a heel to bail to the floor after some high spots uh, to kind of, you know, cool down the match. You know, it, at the end of the day, it is Malenko's responsibility, and Kidman's responsibility for that matter, to know the rules of what they're in. You know, the, the, the matchmaker... The booker, the writer, whatever you want to call him, is giving you a clear direction on what you want to do or what you're supposed to do. And they failed in that regard. Um, But coming into this, if they had gotten rid of the stipulation, which I think is just stupid, uh, this probably could have been a a really great match. I mean, I can't really recall a time where Kidman and Malenko had even a TV match that I can remember. But... uh, kind of a fresh match for a cruiserweight division. Cause usually I had to see Malenko wrestling like Ray Mysterio every single week or something like that. So this was a nice change. It would have been a nice change of pace. At least uh, the crowd I felt like was really showing enthusiasm and uh, like they did a couple of, you know, notable moves for a second there and they were responding well to it. And then immediately just got cut out from underneath uh, with the unfortunate finish. So, uh, hopefully the crowd maintains this throughout the show, but for an opening match, uh, kind of left you confused, not satisfied, and uh, you know just questioning why is WCW doing this to me. They're, they're overcomplicating
2: a simple match. Uh, they, which is yeah. the general theme with anything that wcw does <laughs> exactly because wcw and all that i was going to say bob if anybody was to know if these two had had a tv match before then it would have been you i was expecting you to say oh yes they had one on wcw saturday night in the third week of september 1998 or something so well, if you co- to you be
3: fair it- <laughs> they probably did in 1996
2: yes that's very possible but the- i don't really
3: consider it. billy kidman to be an act he's more just an enhancement guy Yes, so, so save your
2: letters, everybody, and hold hold the postcards. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this could have been promising, but it's, it's like I can't really talk about it. We only got two minutes worth until Malenko just instinctively rolled out of the ring. This one where the onus probably is on him, but I say instinct—you can't really blame him for that. It's just a stupid stipulation in the first place. I mean, the match ends when somebody leaves the ring, and where did Billy Kidman and Dean Malenko? Where do they fall into that category, you know? If you want to do a Kidman's got to run the gauntlet run, I think okay. Just have him win a, a wrestling match against Dean Malenko if you want to do that. And as you say, give these guys 10, 12 minutes to really kick off the pay-per-view strong. I have no doubt they could have done it. But instead, we just got Malenko just having a brain fart for a couple of seconds. And it's one of those I don't really blame... Charles Robinson, all the commentators for that matter, for saying that, well, he rolled out of the ring, and whether it was planned or not, those are the rules of the rules. But I I look back at something like Royal Rumble 1992, when Savage threw himself over the top rope to get after Jake, but he was still booked to beat the match at the end, so he got back in, and the commentators hurriedly covered by saying, oh, you have to be propelled over the top rope to be eliminated. It (laughs) isn't true, but, you know, (laughs) any attempt at an explanation is better than none. Uh, uh, they didn't think so quickly on their feet. I don't really begrudge them that. It's just it's just unfortunate as much as anything. It's um, not that Malenko was around for too long to get punished, but we'll talk about that a bit later on as well. But Kidman is one up in his triple threat theater. So Vampiro is interviewed <sighs> backstage by Scott Hudson about his forthcoming triple threat match, but Chono interrupts, of all people. Uh, David Flair ben squeals a lot in the presence of Mean Gene, which brings us to our next match. Nominally a three-way match, Vampiro against Flair, against Crowbar, but those two largely team up. So it's effectively a handicap match for most of it. Uh, Vampiro spikes both guys to the mat right from the off and then mugs for the camera. Hard chops to the chest of Crowbar, blocks a suplex and gets up a nice nice Northern Lights of his own. Back leg round kick by Vampiro, who then dumps Flair and suicide dives onto Crowbar. Daphne and her David for press shirt get on the apron for a bit, but they don't really do anything. Poor spinning wheel kick off the top by Vampiro, he missed by a long way there, and then Flair gets dumped out again. Vamp then baseball slides for two of them, there's no flow to this match at all. Vampiro and Flair then grapple outside, then Crowbar somersaults onto them. Vamp gets thrown on the apron neck first, takes a splash on the floor, but Crowbar hurts himself in doing so. David with corner chops, but Vamp brushes them off easily. Crowbar in though with a German suplex and a guillotine leg drop for two. I should say that was the first pinfall attempt of the show, and 22 minutes in. I think that's got to be a record. <laughs> Superplex by Vampiro with a rather dangerous release gets two. Slam by Crowbar off Flair onto Vampiro also gets a two. Uh, he stands up and fires off a few superkicks. Uranagi slams to Crowbar, but David breaks up the pin. Another splash by Crowbar, but he, pull- he pulls Vampiro off, so Flair gets on the figure of four. Crowbar covers during that, and David is not too happy. Daphne tries to calm them down, but he suplexes his tag-team champion partner instead. He smooches Daphne, but almost gets rolled up for two. Vampiro chokes her briefly, but moves out of the way when David tries to save, and the nail in the coffin wins it. Bob?
3: Well, you were right that there was no real uh, flow to the match, but I still found myself enjoying this. I don't know why, but I I did. I guess, congratulations, David Flair, you have a match I enjoy. Um, (laughs) Take some time. Yeah, for the for the most part though, I mean, this kind of felt like a singles match between Vampiro and Crowbar, with you know David poking his head in a few times to take a bump from Vampiro, or you know pretty much not contributing all that much to it. Uh, the, it was mostly, and I, I don't want to make it sound like it was a you know big move at a big move, but like it was big spots at a big spot, like um a worthwhile offense. So like you mentioned, sure he missed the top rope spinning heel kick, but like visually. That, you know, that was nice to see. Or the splash coming off the apron by Crowbar, stuff like that. Uh, it, it was holding my interest. I enjoy Vampiro. Uh, he's kind of been saddled with kind of, re- you know, not fun angles. You know, he closed out 9-9 feuding with, like, Berlin or whatever it was. Um, and now he's feuding with, I guess, Flair and Crowbar for whatever reason. But uh, coming out of this, though, I felt like uh, I would probably enjoy a Vampiro-Crowbar match at some point. Um a lengthy one, at least. Uh, so that could be fun. Uh, this is mostly harmless, and uh, I would mean, I would say a good win for Vampiro, but I don't really know how much credibility Flair and Crowbar have. I mean, I know they're, they're the tag team champions, but they're probably the least recognizable or accomplished tag team champions WCW has ever had. So uh, compared to the first match, I mean, it was it was okay. But, you know, completely forgettable for the most part.
2: Uh, I'd completely forgotten that they were even tag team champions. So i mentioned it on commentary just before the end. Uh, Of course, those who don't know, Crowbar is the former Devon Storm, who you might remember participated in the light heavyweight championship tournament. Remember that one? Seems a very long time ago now in in mid-97. Looks a lot different these days. He lost to Tucker in that match, as I remember. Go back into the archives for the 10 seconds or so we talk about that. Yeah, this was, as I said in the play-by-play, no flow to this one. I still stand by that uh, but they just went for big move from start to finish really it was just a bunch of moves with nothing connecting them but they probably just about got away with it because a lot of the spots were quite impressive the splashes the somersaults that sort of thing I think they probably thought that the flare crowbar increased tension was the only story they needed to tell in this match so they didn't spend much time putting anything else together other than that and move 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 but it just about managed to hold my attention too. vampiro is improving a little bit again he's got a pretty decent move set he's got a whole lot else but moves alone these days will actually take you quite far we're talking mid card ceiling of course but people's attention spans these they can just throw off about three or four big hits in a seven eight minute match probably carry you safely into the mid card in most promotions now so he probably doesn't need to really improve much more than that david flair just, 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 just can't say his name without laughing can you he's trying in this character but it's just so embarrassing don't play a man who's lost his mind i feel like i'm losing my mind watching him but i'm not sure that's what they were going for but yeah. this was harmless enough and vampiro rolls on Uh, What have we got now? Uh, See, This is the match I actually forgotten about until you went through... (laughs) My memory... (laughs) It just plays with my memory in various other senses, but until you ran through the matches a few minutes ago, Bob, I'd completely forgotten about this one. Big Vito and Johnny the Bull versus the Harris boys. I'm looking forward to getting reacquainted with it. Uh, The Harris boys no longer creative control, by the way. Uh, One of the Harris brothers, I don't know which one, clubs and clubs and clubs and clubs and clubs and clubs. Johnny with a spin kick and clothesline as... Both of the brothers stand around for a bit. Vito in with a clothesline of his own. Disco looks on very reluctantly. Swinging neckbreaker by Vito and a suplex on Ron, supposedly. Elbow to the groin and Johnny is back in but gets punched from behind. Hot take. The Harris brothers are not very good. Sidewalk slam by whichever one it is and a long headlock. Johnny with a diving clothesline but he gets sort of spine busted down. Lots of elbows now but only a two count. A deserved boring chant goes up as you spell outside yet again. Disco asks, What do you want me to do? as Johnny gets power slammed. A DOA chant goes up from a few in the crowd and Vito gets beaten up outside. Spike Pile Driver is teased but he recovers and throws them off, but then Disco shoves off Vito. Despite that, however, he is able to roll over Harris and the Marmalukes get the win, which is not what Disco intended. Bob, I think you can see why I've forgotten about this match until then. <laughs>
3: yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> what a difference a year makes, especially for the tag team division in WCW. I mean, last year we had, you know, Ray and Kidman and Raven Saturn, Malenko Benoit, and all these other different teams ever in the mix, and now we have David Flair and Crowbar, and <laughs> Vito and Johnny the Bull, and then the Harris brothers. It's really incredible just how much that has fallen off uh this was a completely flat match uh, felt like a house show kind of way of going about it maybe you know like a tryout match for a, a team that just started uh, i know that uh, Vito has some experience having been in ecw his skull von crush uh amazingly he wasn't great in ecw and somehow he's now made it to a national platform with wcw don't know how that's happened but it has I'm uh, not really familiar with Johnny the Bull, but he looked like he didn't—he wasn't some kind of all-star uh, wrestler by any means. I'm r- still confused as how the Harris brothers are in a top wrestling promotion. They must have friends in high places or something because they are really, really bad at professional wrestling. And uh, I was surprised they actually lost here. I thought they were going to uh, go over on the Mamaloos. The the uh, the story here with the uh, Disco Inferno kind of accidentally helping. Uh, Vito and Bull win the match. I mean, it's not a compelling storyline at all to me. Um, this helps no one because the Mamelukes needed help. Even if they didn't know they needed help, uh, or they didn't know that they had gotten help, whichever the case is. And then, uh, the Harris brothers look like fools because they've lost to a kind of unknown, uh, tag team for the moment. But, uh, Pretty lifeless crowd, uh, again, just didn't really seem to care. And they almost seemed happy that it was concluded. So uh, I don't really see either one of these teams uh, doing much of anything. But that usually means that they will probably be feuding for the next six months (laughs) and probably over the tag team championships. So...
2: Who knows what WCW More than likely. Expect the worst in WCW because you're going to get it. Now, this was this was rather horrible. The Harris brothers are just atrocious professional wrestlers. I think the reason they get jobs in so many organizations, however, is because they are difficult people to argue with. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, Vito and Johnny the Bull are fine for what they are. They're still playing this. I hate this godfather-esque stupid gimmick they're doing Uh, it's very very easy very very base level now we're telling the story that disco might have some other problems elsewhere in addition to the ones he had a month or so ago it's it's very very silly and the match didn't do anything to try to allow me to overlook the silliness of that storyline because it was wretched However, compared to what we get next, it was practically the Southern Boys versus the Midnight Express from Great American Bash 1990, because we cannot avoid it. It's Oklahoma versus Medusa for the Cruiserweight title. Oklahoma cut a promo beforehand. One is well-stretched singlet. The font that they're using for the word Oklahoma looks very familiar. And as does the fact that Medusa is in a feud with a supposed male chauvinist, just like she was seven and a half years ago in this promotion. Right, let's get it out the way. Oklahoma versus Medusa. The things I do for you. He tries some beal throws and gets blown up straight away. They screw up a stinger splash, but they don't screw up the sting head. But that was Medusa doing that. Uh, Tony breaks out a boomer sooner because of course he does. And then Medusa gives us a drop kick or two. Uh, Oklahoma with a neck breaker. I've written down here. I don't remember that, but oh my god. Uh, he drags Medusa towards Spice, but she grabs the barbecue bottle off him. And now Asia appears and she beats him up too. But then we just somehow end up back in the ring, and he grabs a roll-up for the three and the cruiserweight title. Uh, he gets barbecued though by the three ladies, as Tony says he is going to get a taste of his own sauce. Who let Lanny Poffo in? But otherwise, apart from that, Bob, uh, 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 uh. this
3: is a complete embarrassment <laughs> to professional wrestling. All right, I-, I can, I can maybe, I can maybe. Get behind Medusa being the WCW Cruiserweight champion. Maybe. Okay. I can can deal with it. She beat Evan Courageous for the championship. I think it was Evan Courageous, right? Yes, it was. Okay. So he's really not even – he's not a good Cruiserweight by any means. So I can maybe get behind this. But now you got – you have Ed Ferrara, your writer of television, challenging Medusa, who is an accomplished women's wrestler. She, is, she was good at one point for the Cruiserweight Championship. For the love of God, the Cruiserweight Championship, Cruiserweight Division, should be the easiest thing that anybody should be able to book in the history of professional wrestling. You have, I would easily say, I'm not going to list them all, but you could easily say you have 15 to 20 Cruiserweights on your damn roster. And you're telling me, that of all those guys, whether it be Psychosis, Billy Kidman, Malenko, Rey Mysterio, La Parca, the list could go on and on and on. That you're settling for putting the belt on Medusa to then lose it to Oklahoma on a pay-per-view for a match that lasts three minutes. The Cruiserweight Championship, the same championship that had a spectacular match with Jushin Liger and And Brian Pillman, some eight years ago, has now fast-forwarded to a point where you have a horrible, horrible, number one human being, for mocking Jim Ross, Ed Ferrara, beating, again, an accomplished female wrestler for a cruiserweight championship. I don't understand why Medusa is the cruiserweight champion. I don't know if Vince Russo doesn't understand what cruiserweight means or how the whole division even works out but this was a complete and utter joke i there's no reason for this to have ever transpired and i know that by the end of the month oklahoma doesn't even have the championship and i think like a tournament or something is yes is announced is taking place which is fine but to get to the tournament we had to have this be the involvement and if they somehow butcher this freaking tournament to where you don't have an accomplished cruiserweight guy as your champion, then I don't know what is wrong with world championship wrestling because the cruiserweight division for the last, what? Like eight years off and on has been one of the most enjoyable divisions that WWE has had. The WWF has tried to, incorporate their own cruiserweight division and i'm not going to say failed miserably but wasn't even close but right now their lightweight division that features i think gilberg is considered better than what we have right now in wcw so let that sink in wcw right now has absolutely nothing if you take the cruiserweight division has absolutely nothing that is better than world than the world wrestling federation and this is just a complete and utter joke i am i'm not very offended by a lot of things because it's professional wrestling but for the love of god whoever decided that this should be on television i'm gonna assume it was either vince russo or, or uh, kevin sullivan you need to be fired and you should never return to booking <laughs> professional wrestling ever ever again. This is just awful. No, oh, it's just horrifying.
2: Just utterly horrifying, mortifying every other
3: in the visual of Oklahoma with barbecue sauce on his body. I mean, oh. t- come on, man. You put us through a 2 minute and 56 second match and then you're going to rub a freaking barbecue sauce over over Oklahoma's body. Why? Yeah, that- that's
2: not a payoff that that, that doesn't no. that doesn't make this okay
3: no uh, what, what's gonna happen now are we gonna have a barbecue on a pole match next month at super brawl and it's gonna be oklahoma against medusa or like a three-way now spice is gonna be involved
2: like give me a freaking break no, don't, this is don't, just up don't, don't give them ideas but they're probably <laughs> no. they're probably way ahead of you on that one they probably are <laughs> spice is probably going for the u.s championship time <laughs> Well, Spice is my favourite of the Nitro girls, so no, it's about bad time she got some decoration. Um, She really deserves it. A Great quality actor as well. I'm very much joking. Um, Yeah, uh, the fact I'm talking about Spice's acting chop should tell you everything about this match. Yeah, I don't need to add anything to what you said there, but it's this it has to be somebody's idea of a rib barbecue pun intended. I mean, this is the Cruiserweight title you're doing this with. The one consistent marker in all the down... You know, all the valleys and troughs that WCW have taken us through over the last few years, the Cruiserweight division has always been there. I mean, you listed the roster. It it speaks for itself that you can throw these people out there for 10, 12 minutes, and you're going to hit three and a half stars just by dint of them turning up. Oftentimes, you'll get something even better than that, but three and a half stars is your baseline, the Cruiserweight division, something that WCW should be proud of. But with all the vanilla midget stuff a few years ago and the current booking team, things that Vince Russo has said about Mexican wrestlers and all that. There's always going to be that glass ceiling for the smaller guys, quote-unquote, that nobody's going to believe them, turning heads in airports and all that sort of thing. Even if you do think that, just give them their 15 minutes and ignore them. Let them get on with it. Don't make a mockery of their title with this fucking mess. And the way I blame... I blame myself for this because two months ago I blame Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer actually because they suggested in the middle of November the Oklahoma character was going to be retired very very quickly and now here he is with the Cruiserweight title plans change indeed. Moving on from, I've just seen what's next. I just can't get away from it. Uh, The fatal four-way match between Finlay, his protege, Brian Nobbs, the champion hardcore, uh, Meng and Norman Smiley. Going to race through this one because it was impossible to do any play-by-play for. Uh, Other than Norman screaming a lot, it's nothing we haven't become all too accustomed to over the last 15 months or so. Uh, Just a couple of brief notes. Tony makes reference to the British Empire when talking about Finlay. Bobby doesn't even try to hide his disdain for this style of match. So let's just jump right to the finish here. Uh, Norman breaks out the big wiggle, but he gets hit by the police shield. Yes, the shield, not the baton, the shield. You know, the thing you used to defend yourself with. Knobs hits him with that and he retains the hardcore title. Bob, I kept that one brief because there was no point going through the holds because there weren't any. We know this type of match all too well. Uh, it's a hardcore match and again, it it is what it is, right? Well, yeah, and your play-by-play would have been uh, Brian Knobs uh,
3: hit Finley with a trash can. Norman Smiley hit Mang with a trash can. It would have just been so repetitive. It Stop would have just turning been,
2: off for three minutes at a time. I wouldn't yeah, I, it, it would keep...
3: have. Been, it would have been absolutely pointless to do. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you actually did that. Uh, <laughs> hardcore wrestling, okay, similar to cruiserweight, is very. It should be very easy to construct. It should be very easy to uh, have it be enjoyable. Uh, I, I believe like the last time I was on the show, I kind of compared it to ECW ECW for the most part has kind of ventured away from being strictly hardcore. They still incorporate it, but they don't necessarily rely on it similar to what they did in like 96, 95, 96, probably starting in like tail tail end of 97 ECW has kind of more become well-rounded, but you know, they'll incorporate a chair, like, you know, Robbie and N will use a chair and, you know, have it be enjoyable. And they kind of, change things up you know sabu doesn't necessarily use the same weapons or you know it's not always a table spot or whatever this match is the definition of a lazy hardcore match because all you're doing is hitting somebody with a street sign constantly there is no story to it it is just hey let's hit each other over the head with something for about seven minutes and then uh somehow after about 45 shots of that you're suddenly going to just pass out and i'm going to beat you one two three That is essentially what went on here. I don't understand how Meng isn't the WCW Hardcore Champion because he is a superhuman and (laughs) tends to not get hurt from anything. But he somehow lost here, but that's okay. Uh, I've said it once, and I will say it again. If you've seen one hardcore match in WCW, you have seen them all. And that is exactly the case here. It wasn't offensive by any means, but... It was incredibly boring and if you make a hardcore match boring then you need to reevaluate your job because they should not be this boring
2: exactly hardcore matches now they don't feel like light relief to me anymore i'm getting very very bored by them it's it's just the same old show every time hit each other with fun stuff for seven or eight minutes and the weapon that normally gets the win isn't the murder death kill weapon it should be so here it was the police riot shield for goodness sake because huh, that's a funny thing to end a match with isn't it and that's it that's, that's all there is to say it's I, I apologize to our listeners that i'm not giving my normal razor sharp analysis on matches but i can't for these hardcore matches especially these wcw ones they do again just speak for themselves and they've got very little to say so why don't we move on to ah, some meaty well, for this and, one. And yeah, here's God. the thing Three oh. of these
3: guys shouldn't even be in this type of division. Yes, Finley was you know when he had his little run there a couple years ago in ninety eight, he was a lot of fun to watch when he yeah, had was the, good matches. Yeah, was the TV a champion. Good match, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then Smiley, you know, he's an accomplished work like he can wrestle, he can do holds and all these things, and Mang too. You know, he, he can work a big man style or you know, he has some fun off. It's, you know, Brian Knobbs sure should be in the hardcore division because the guy really doesn't provide much of anything. But three of these guys should be somewhere else on the card. You know, I'm not saying they should be made of an axe or anything, but they could certainly round out, you know, your undercard uh, and be utilized better. I mean, it's kind of a shame to an extent that Norman Smiley is like a comedy guy because he should be more than that. But he's getting that over, which he deserves credit for. But this is just kind of like a miscast of of a division like it it doesn't make any sense it doesn't fit very well to me and then and that's why you get kind of a poor showcase out of it because for the most part this isn't a style that these guys should be working and probably aren't even comfortable working to begin with
2: just it's too easy just to throw people into hardcore matches these days just to give them something to do Uh, i'm just i've just had enough of it now quite frankly it's time to move it on but it's easy tv so um of course it keeps Brian Nobbs on our television and we all know how important that is yeah. brother. and match number two for Kidman this is a bit better uh, he is up against Saturn in a bunkhouse brawl again not really the stipulation you instantly associate with these guys but uh, let's go with it Billy gets stomped down instantly and takes a clothesline for good measure press slam to follow that and an early cover attempt uh, the commentary team suggests Kidman might be fatigued well, after the epic he was put through earlier you mean <laughs> head scissors and corner punches but the crowd are very quiet he gets crushed on the ropes and hit with a springboard sort of clothesline for a two on the outside. A young fan in the crowd calls out for her mommy, yes that really happened, as back in Saturn grinds on the neck. Kidman with a snap roll up gets two but he's taken down with a lariat followed by a two count after a spinning leg drop. Gord Buster onto the second rope scores another two and Kidman gets off from another interestingly brief comeback with a super kick hmm. Shirt assisted Beale across the ring now and now Saturn finds a table. Kidman vaults over the top rope onto him though, but for zero reaction. And that is no exaggeration. Saturn again kills the comeback and goes up himself. He hits a very neat elbow off the top, but only for two. Sunset flip by Kidman for two, and again he just gets closed lines down. Kidman blocks the power bomb, but not even he can block the second one. Another two count. Moonsault attempt by Saturn misses, a tornado bulldog and a sit-out power bomb by Kidman for a close two. Uh, they ruck near the rope, so Saturn levers Kidman over and through the table that was set up earlier. Pinfall attempt on the outside, though, does not get Saturn the win. They get back in and a scrap on the top rope. Kidman backdrops Saturn off very weakly. Didn't look good. That then transitions to another powerbomb try. Kidman blocks that with his usual faceplank counter. Uh, that gets the three count. Bob there was some good action in this match but i thought it was very strangely put together and the finish was not particularly emphatic either no it was not
3: i'm glad that you thought the same way i mean i understand that you know kim and can't be powerbombed, but who the hell actually beats a guy with a face buster off of that move i couldn't put i was i thought something wrong had happened similar to the first match of this yeah show. that's I, the movie me too that's the movie does to
2: start his comeback she doesn't right. get three counts with it
3: No, he does that. He comes off the robes, bulldog, you know, or whatever. And then he gets to the shooting star press. It's like the five moves of doom for Bret Hart. You know, it's the beginning of his moves. I don't know. It was pretty tame for a bunkhouse brawl match. Like, I thought there'd be, you know, I thought this would be the plunder. You know, it's weird placement to come off of a hardcore match and go to a bunkhouse brawl and then proceed not to really do anything that goes with a bunkhouse brawl. So that was a little weird to me, a weird placement. Um. But like, the action was was solid. I mean, it was okay. It was nothing. It didn't light, light the house on fire or anything. It wasn't uh, overly enjo- enjoyable. I did notice – I got this vibe at least from Saturn that he was just like going through the motions. Like he didn't seem to be invested in what he was doing. And I feel like when – as a performer, if you're putting that out there, and if, uh, as a viewer, if I'm getting that from you – I'm not going to get any type of attachment to the, to the match. So for me, as soon as I picked up on that, it was probably within a couple of minutes, the rest of the match. I was just like, he doesn't want to be in there. He doesn't want to be doing any of this. So it's like just ended. So it could have ended up being a four star match. But when I get a vibe from someone that they don't want to be there, then I'm probably not going to be invested. It's similar to like an athlete. You know, if you're watching a basketball game and you're a star shooting guard, it's like, I'm just not going to shoot the ball today. I'm not really feeling it. Uh, you're probably not going to be like, "Yeah, come on, let's go, Chicago Bulls." That's my favorite team. People wondering, I'm uh, probably, I'm probably not, not going to care. You know, I'm like, "Well, this guy doesn't care. Why well, do I care?" I would probably leave the arena or I'd stop watching the show. Unfortunately, I paid twenty nine ninety five for this, so I had to continue watching the show, otherwise, I'd lose out on my investment. There it is. Um, exactly. See, I gotta throw it in there somehow. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This whole, I. I don't understand even how Kidman has gotten suckered into this whole like I don't know the theater match or triple threat theater whatever they're calling it. I don't really don't even know how this has happened um, but that's probably why Saturn for the most part um, just didn't really care in that finish I I scoffed I like I could not believe that that's what they went with with Perry Saturn so uh, but again it's, it's a decent match, but when you have everything that has led up to it, I need something better than decent. Mm. And for Kidman and Saturn, two of – I would say two of the better in-ring
2: workers that WW has, you need to do better than decent, and yeah. they did not here. These two are capable of a lot more than decent, and they had the time as well. It was over 10 minutes this match, I yeah. think it was. They should be into very good territory at least, and it didn't get there. And part of that was, as you say, I know it's easy, hindsight's twenty twenty, all that, knowing what we now know two weeks later. Uh, Saturn did seem to be mailing this one in and I think that's why he just kept on cutting off Kidman's comeback so quickly. I mean, Billy Kidman didn't get a sniff in this match until the last one minute or so. And Saturn's normally, I wouldn't have him not normally I would normally describe it as a selfish worker. That's how it came across to me. I don't think that was intentional. I think it's because he just wasn't putting his normal thought into the match because his mind was elsewhere about a good couple of thousand miles north as he ended up with his body a couple of weeks later, as we'll get to. Uh, it wasn't a good sign for Kidman, though, when he is hitting his big high-risk moves and is getting no reaction at all. I mean, I repeat, no exaggeration to so say it was zero reaction. The crowd were completely dead during this match, and if Kidman is going to be elevated to some degree, as we've heard in some quarters of the last couple of months, it's not a good sign. If vaulting over the top rope and moves like that, you know, there's stock in trade, and people aren't reacting to it, that's a concern. And again, like we said about the cruise weights a bit earlier, people backstage give them an inch and they'll take a mile. Any excuse to knock these people down a peg or two, they'll take it. And Kidman not getting good crowd reactions. That's going to be one of them. Yeah. Match was just okay for me because of that. And the finish was bizarre. I thought like, you know, I thought they'd screwed up or I'd I, accidentally hit fast forward between him doing the faceplant counter and the two minutes where he actually goes for the pinfall. But no, he actually won with the faceplant. Not that Saturn is bothered, I suppose, but that was an odd way to end it. But it was enough to put Billy up two and zero and he'll be back a bit later on. We get some footage of Stevie Ray in the hood where he and Booker used to grow up and he then gets interviewed by Gene. Tonight, he will teach his brother a lesson and it's going to hurt Booker a lot more than it will him. Booker is out first for their match. He has midnight by his side now, so you can no longer call him Junior. So then away we go with Booker T versus Stevie Ray. Booker doesn't waste any time with a Harlem sidekick and then he rams Stevie's head into the rail. Big forearm for a quick near fall, but he eats elbow on a charge. But he breaks up a 360 cell for his brother off a clothesline. Ah, oh, that's nice. Stevie dumps Booker outside, but all he does is Ryle Jr., who punches away at him relentlessly. Same treatment inside the ring, but he does manage to get off a power slam only too. Uh, Stevie hits the rear chin lock, as I fear the barrel is empty for him moveset-wise already. Something vaguely approximating a snapmare is the only thing to break the humdrum for a good long while. Booker thankfully fights out, but gets cut off with pace. That's a running theme tonight. Slapjack called for, but Booker's able to reverse. Some nice kicks by T, but the fans are not into anything here again. He spins up after an actic and then hits, what's well, basically the rock bottom. But he can't get the three because of somebody running in for the DQ. And I use the term running very, very loosely. Uh, Bobby. Look at the size of this guy. (laughs) Yes, indeed. That guy is the former Ahmed Johnson, as the crowd champ proves, although that is not his name here. They've also renamed his desperately unsafe finisher from Pearl River Plunge to just a plain old Tiger Bomb. After Booker gets attacked, Stevie gives Ahmed the mic and addresses him as Big T. He gets his Paul Heyman on by calling Midnight a fish. I can't understand anything else he says, so what else is new? And Stevie introduces us to the new Harlem hate. So then, Bob, Ahmed Johnson is back in our lives, and there's a lot more of him to go around this time.
3: Right. So I'm going to take back everything I've said about this show. This is the greatest pay per view <laughs> that WSW has ever put on because it's the debut of Ahmed Johnson. Give me all of the Pearl River plunges, please. I need all of it. You'll want them. Hopefully, not giving them to you because you won't be walking no, again afterwards. No, not me. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Everybody else, though. Let's let's do it. Let, I hope on the next night on Nitro, he gives all the cruiserweights Pearl River plunges and he becomes a <laughs> megastar. You know it's coming. Uh, yeah. I mean, all right. So in let's be serious. Uh, Ahmed Johnson is looking horrible. He is. Uh, he's got some muscle, but he's got a lot more fat on him too uh, than what we saw him. I think what last time was ninety eight. Couple of years ago for yeah. uh, the WWF. Ahmed Johnson at one point was one of my favorite wrestlers. This is more so like 96, 95. This is intensity and just, you never knew what the hell that guy was talking about. And he was like a loose cannon before loose cannon was cool. But now he's just, you know, eating too much catering and looks like he's just kind of in it for a quick paycheck for the most part. But uh, this whole feud with Booker and Stevie Ray is another example of an angle just annoying me to no end. Uh, they're brothers. I get that they fight, but, you know, we get along and we don't get along and we get along again and now we don't get along again. Uh, And it's mostly because Booker T's friends with a woman, Midnight, who's got muscles and is in better shape than Stevie Ray or something. I don't understand any of it. But and then the video package leading into this was like, oh, have you seen Booker lately? And the guy's just like, no, man, I haven't seen him in years. So it's like, well, Stevie, then why were you partners with Booker just a couple of months ago and you guys were tag team <laughs> champions? It didn't bother you then, and now it's suddenly bothering you. And then there you are in the hood with a cameraman to kind of, you know, take advantage of these homeless-looking guys and, oh, I'm here for you, buddy. But you don't give him anything. You don't give him any money. You're just there to crap on your brother. Uh, The match isn't good. Stevie Ray's not good. Um, Booker T, my God, you know, ever since he he became a singles guy, Uh, I I know he's won a couple of championships, you know, he had a good TV run in 98, but really aside from that, uh, (laughs) the, the things they've, the directions they've gone with this guy, it's almost on the same level of like a Bret Hart. Now I'm not putting Booker and Bret Hart in the same category into the star power or anything, but Booker T should be doing so much better than what he's doing right this second. I mean, I, I, it is blowing my mind that they are refusing to elevate this guy. I mean, it seemed like in 99, a couple of times, I mean, he beat Bret Hart, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. on Nitro. And then just completely forgot about him. And you know, by the end of 99, he's losing to Scott Hall. Why? Like, what, what are we doing? How come this guy can't ever be elevated? You know, it's like when you mentioned the whole NWO thing. You know, the NWO essentially murdered the WCW roster for about th- two or three years, and then they never could get any type of comeback. You know, even Sting winning the championship at Stark in '97 had, you know, wasn't a true win. Like the NWO never truly lost. So, you know, as a you know, residue of that, you know, whether it be Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, or you know, Bret Hart or whatever, uh, they're all still like crippling anything that's WCW. Stevie Ray, a former NWO guy, is still crippling people that have actual value in terms of a guy like Booker T. Um, it's amazing just how out of touch, whether it's Vince Russo, Kevin Sullivan, Bill Bush, you know, whoever is on the creative side of it at this point, uh, how out of touch they are and what fans would want to see and, and who they could see value in. I mean – Again, I'm going to get blue in the face about it. Look at your competition. See what's working. Younger is working. You don't go older on your programming. It doesn't make sense. You need to elevate more enjoyable workers. They're not doing it. I do not care about this new Harlem Heat thing. Realistically, I don't care about Ahmed Johnson. I just feel really bad for Booker T. And I really, really hope that at some point they wake up and they give Booker the true
2: shot that that guy deserves. Yeah, uh, Booker, I remember on these shows <clears throat> two years ago, we said that you know Booker's time is coming and it's maybe only a few months until he's really there in the highest echelons, upper mid card at the very, very least. Yeah, he's had a few injuries, I know, but he's just spinning his wheels and now he's doing this stuff. I feel like he's been feuding with Stevie Ray forever. And I know yeah. I haven't been I mean, they were tag team champs again not so long ago, but I just feel there's something again, it's always that because the brothers they can easily go back to it. And Booker should be long past this now. He should be knocking on the door of a main event. And that's yeah. probably the least he should be at. But he's some way down again. He's not moved forward in these last two years, and it's disappointing. He deserves to, because I think he's got he's got the athleticism, he's got a main event style moveset he carries himself more than acceptably on the microphone i think he's an underrated promo he's got a lot of the tools to be somebody who really should be up there in the mix yeah he's still wasting his time with this nonsense and now he looks like he's going to be in some sort of feud with what's left and <laughs> what's left of Ahmed johnson and, and besides what's now Armin, who looked horrendous and there's somebody else who I mean, I started this project just as Ahmed Johnson was making his debut with the WWF. And I thought at the time that the sky was the limit for that guy, that he would have been champion within the next 12 months. And everything Vince was looking for never quite happened. And now just look at him. A quick payday. I think we all know what he's going to spend that money on. Uh, Just a huge wasted opportunity here. Booker should be doing something else rather than a punch kick fest, hood based feud with his brother and... Too late for Ahmed, let's safely say that. Well, the thing, too, with Poker T is that the guy is over.
3: Oh, yeah, he's still over. You know, he's doing the whole raising the roof thing, and the fans <clears throat> are responding to it. He's still over, and he's wearing a ridiculous, like, rubber-looking <laughs> suit or leather-looking, like, little overalls. And, like, the fans are still responding to the guy. I mean, it's just – it's incredible. It is truly – remarkable is how poorly uh execute and use that poker t has been when he reformed harlem heat with stevie in uh the summer of 99 i knew right then and there he he just took three steps backwards yes and that's three the guy like, yeah. you can't do that this is yeah. a guy where it's like you just go full steam with them and that's just i mean this is kind of like a rebuild mode and especially when we, where we know uh where a handful of these guys are going the next damn night um <laughs> booker t is a guy right there get the get the rocket on him and speed him up because you need to fill that void Definitely. and and this is not going to help you fill that void
2: Got many more second chances there aren't that many more they've sat on it for two years they can't afford to anymore could be their last chance they really need to because he should be he really really should be i uh, said promo follow but as it said I will allow it Uh, a quick one now, a match from the fishes of Pete Kimber's mind, it's Jerry Flynn versus Tank Abbott Uh, Bobby calls Abbott a shooter, I never like hearing that on a wrestling program, tons of punches in the corner by Abbott until he throws him down, spin kick by Flynn and now a cross arm breaker attempt but Abbott reverses to some ground and pound, Flynn tries again but Abbott hoiks him up and holds him down punch to the back of the head and after the arm drops three times, that is enough, Uh, Tanay said there should be a ten count but there wasn't one but then enforcing the rules today sometimes they do sometimes they don't uh bob they made this one quick so so can we kind of a well going for a shoot fight element they even build this one as a shoot fight i never like seeing that on wrestling programming but what we got was what we got uh yeah i mean it's ju- i don't know
3: man i mean these these i don't like tank abbott okay number one i don't um they're they're building him up as this like unstoppable fighter guy okay and then they're ignoring the fact that he is he's eight and seven as a mixed martial arts fighter his last victory in a in a ufc fight was uh may 15th 1998 okay he's not very well accomplished in that in that ranks he's never uh won a championship uh, in the UFC. He's had one opportunity to, to, to do so and he lost because he got exhausted. That's literally the reasoning behind it. Exhaustion. I did not know
2: that, but I can... Okay, it's making sense. Yeah,
3: you're, you're welcome. October 17th, 1997, UFC 15 against Maurice Smith. Wow. He lost because he got exhausted after eight minutes. <laughs> uh, luckily, this didn't go eight minutes, so he couldn't get exhausted. He, it went like, what, like a minute 20 or something? It was very okay. very quick. Um I will tell you I'm terrified, okay I'm absolutely terrified that if Tink Abbott continues to go through and just murder people, there was once a guy that did the same thing. No oh, no, no, don't don't say it. okay,
2: don't say it And it started in <laughs> September of 97. Oh you're going there oh no. all right.
3: <laughs> and it proceeded to go on for a substantial amount of time, like 173 times. All right, I am really, really terrified that this is a slow build. I know, I know Goldberg's out for a little bit here. He, uh, I think he, he injured himself recently. Um, if this is the goal for Abbott to kind of be that guy, and then our Lord and Savior Bill Goldberg comes back and takes him out, I mean, I really hope Goldberg's not too injured because if he's out for like a year or six months or something, phew. WCW TV with Tank Abbott is going to be a chore to get through. <laughs> um But, I mean, at least it was quick. You know, it was, he just, yes. He knocked him out pretty quick. So, whatever. I, I, I don't care.
2: There's, there's so much about the show I don't care. It's amazing. Yeah. There's not, nothing to assess in this match other than that yeah. chilling portent for the future you've given us there, Bob. And if this does happen, I'm going to end up blaming you. So,. Be ready. Okay? Well, you know
3: what, Rory? This is what you get. For every time that I'm on these damn shows, I get the shit ones. <laughs> Did okay? you just... Yeah, here, 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 okay. you,
2: you've got a case here. Okay, you've got yeah. a case here. I mean, I sign up for it, but still. <laughs> show me All some too mercy. keenly. Also, I try to give him good shows everybody. I don't know what's coming, do I? No.
0: Yeah.
2: Anyway, let's let's see if we can improve things with a match that's got some proper build to it. That's Bagwell versus DDP in a last man standing. Now, you might remember a couple of months ago, we reported a backstage fight between Messrs Bagwell and Paige, uh, reportedly over Kimberley. In the sheets at the time, when it first happened, first couple of weeks, everybody seemed to think that it was a legitimate fight between them. And the word got out a couple of weeks later that it was just a shoot and they were trying to boost the publicity for a future pay-per-view match. Although they have worked themselves into a shoot, and I am told by some reliable sources that there is still a bit of a real needle between the two. Whether or not it's over Kimberly, we will save for another day. But this is the match, and Kimberly is the reason, let's say, this match is taking place. Uh, Bobby Heenan, a PG show and all that, he tries to call Kim a cock tease without actually using the description. He might as well not have bothered. I barely knew what he meant. Uh, The two of them furiously exchange punches to start, and you know what? For this sort of feud, I appreciate that. You know, these two hate each other. They shouldn't be collar and elbow tying up, and they weren't. Good. Well done. They go into the crowd right away and they end up in the penalty box. They both seem to slip at the same time when in there. Uh, back in the ring, Buff gets a swinging neck breaker, but Page is up first. A uh, discus lariat from DDP and a clothesline sends both men over the top. Uh, we get the walk and brawl stuff in the aisle for a little bit until they both punch each other at the same time. That didn't look all that convincing. Uh, they get to the internet area and they chuck monitors at each other. Uh, the jousting ends though when Dallas breaks a keyboard over Buff's back. Bagwell rallies up then places Page on the table. He climbs the WCW.com set and drops an elbow from only a few feet up. Uh, They're able to hobble back to the ring, whilst Tony tells us that he thought Paige was dead. Four feet away. (laughs) Buff stomps in the corner but celebrates too early. He gets punished by being pulled balls first into the ring post. I'm going to take it back a little bit though, because Paige does have a nasty cut around his left shoulder. He he eats elbow and takes a beta bomb by Buff, but both men are down as the ref counts to ten. Uh, 9, sorry. They got up at 8. Sorry. Breath counted at 10, but they got up at 8, yes. Uh, they both hit the ground again off a shared shot. The crowd actually awake at last as we get to another 8 count. Nice DDT by Bagwell, but again, it's a double count, and this time it is 9. Belly to belly by Buff, and then the blockbuster, which they botched rather badly. Page scrabbles up before 10, but Buff attacks him with his trusty riot button. Page just beats the count, and to my eyes, he executed a desperation diamond cutter. However, Nate, tells that Buff blocked it via the ropes. Again, didn't really look like that. Here's Kimberly sauntering down to ringside. As she does that, the count gets to 10 and Buff is announced the winner. Oh, the timing was off there. Paige gets a little bit of revenge with a few shots. Kim walks off with him, but her expression doesn't give anything else away. Bob, I ended up being disappointed by this one.
3: Really? Okay. Well, I actually
2: enjoyed it. it. I liked what they were going for, but the execution was off for sure the, the yes i would agree with that the 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 ending especially because
3: just like as you noted watching it i was like he just hit the diamond cutter and he lost how the hell did that just happened i'm thinking bagwell didn't hook the ropes correctly or he just lost his handle of it or something but yeah the execution of that was pretty bad but again when you compare it to everything else i've watched <laughs> yes indeed. okay this is this was it was okay i mean it wasn't like great or good It was okay Uh, It's hard to kind of mess up a last man standing match when there's no rules and you can do whatever you want to do. I like the intensity to start off like you mentioned. Like you don't lock up when it's like this type of a heated feud if you want to use that kind of wording. Um, But it was, you know, relatively enjoyable. But, you know, Buff Bagwell is a a guy – who
2: no, no, you're not no, you're not having another ten minutes on Buff Bagwell. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> keep not. It short
3: time. I'm not going I'm not going to. Buff Bagwell <laughs> similar to the you know, last summer when they were like, hey, he's gonna be our guy, whatever, and then he's like, you know, losing to Ernest the Cat Miller or whatever, disco you know, that's who he's feuding. Like it's just a joke. Here he gets a pretty this is a maybe one of the biggest wins of Bagwell's career. All right. And then the next night on Nitro. He loses to DDP. Now, who? how many people, who here thinks, and by here I mean you, Rory, more people are watching Nitro than they are sold out. Okay. So more eyes are going to be on Bagwell losing than they're going to be on Bagwell winning. So you can't do 50-50 booking stuff like this. You, you just, I can't wrap my head around it. Bagwell gets a huge win even though it was poorly, poorly executed. We can all agree to that. And then the next night loses to the same guy. DDP, uh, I feel like is kind of trending downward, whether it be his in-ring stuff or just his general appearance. He needs a, he needs a, he needs some time away or something. He needs to feel fresh. He's just, he feels played out at this point for me, at least, uh, so, you know, if Bagwell were to have won both matches and then DDP just kind of drifts away for a bit, it would have had a better um, impact, I think, for Bagwell's career. But I feel like, again, if Bagwell like, is certainly not the same level Booker T in this matter. But he's another guy where if you're looking to kind of set up that, you know, next era, you you got to just pull the trigger on it. You got to take that chance. And it's like they put their foot in the water and they realize, oh wait, that's a little too cold for me, so I'm gonna pull it back. You can't do that. You just gotta jump right in. And if Bagwell fails, Bagwell fails. But you gotta give the guy the chance. Uh, you know, if you put this this match on any other show, it's probably, you know, average or lackluster. But for me, I thought the intensity was was there. It was, it was pretty decent. Um, and if it was just executed a little bit better, it probably would have. Um, been a little, bit, a little bit more memorable, but uh, just probably average at best in the grand scheme of things for for these guys in the last man standing match.
2: Doesn't look as though it's going to happen for Buff now, does it? Yeah. He was pinning he was pinning Ric Flair not so long ago, and he's losing the day after this to DDP on TV. They're never going to advance with him. By some accounts, he is his own worst enemy. Robs people up the wrong way backstage a lot. Isn't exactly Mister Popular, but. Mm you know he's got some fairly decent crowd reactions as a face not so long ago a lot of people did seem to be into him but we won't be talking about buff bagwell world champion or anything even remotely close to it anytime soon i can guarantee that yeah this match was i actually had too many botches and errors in this one including the ending which did not look good at all but i can almost forgive it because something like this shouldn't seem like a ballet it shouldn't right. seem structured. The two hate each other so it's going to be a little bit sloppy, a little bit messy. Probably once too often. Well, I had to pull it up during my commentary there and the ending did I like the thought behind the finish but Page hit the diamond cutter. He actually executed the move. Obviously that sort of move, he couldn't stop himself from doing it without making it look completely ridiculous so they just had to go with it. So that was a shame but it did have good fire. It did have good good intensity. It fit the feud building into it. It didn't just feel thrown together in that respect so those are all plus points and it was one of the highlights of this show make no mistake but that's it for bagwell now so we don't need to spend any more 10 15 20 minute discussion times chatting about him bob i'm sorry you, you, i you've tried had... bob he's had his chance you've had your chance i tried really <laughs> hard
3: bob i tried <laughs>
2: the wrong people are listening uh kidman's third and final match is here and it's a cage contest against a mystery member of the revolution douglas is out first though and he runs down all the accomplishments made by the revolution in the past that all seemed a bit final and the big surprise is the wall the cage is effectively the cell heenan has never seen one like this in his life he's never changed the channel very brief pay-per-view note, pay play-by-play notes here. Wall shrugs off everything Kidman throws at him from the bell, but does get caught with a dropkick from the top rope. Uh, a lot of big man stuff follows, including a press slam into the cage. Sunset flip, powerbomb by Kidman after all of that scores a two, but he takes a Samoan drop for his trouble. Uh, but not a chokeslam because Kidman counters with a Rana. That was good. He tries something else off the ropes, but this time, though, he ends up right into the clothesline, and Billy's night ends with a defeat. Uh, We're talking about people who should be getting pushes and aren't, Bob, but the wall is going to get one, and he shouldn't.
3: (laughs) Oh, man. So, so much about this I don't understand. What was the point? Okay, so I was in the first match with Malenko. It didn't go as planned, right? But I'll assume Kidman was supposed to win that anyway. He beats uh, Saturn in a bunkhouse brawl. That's cool. And then you have him lose to the wall. In five minutes, in the KHT, which, like you said, is basically hell in a cell, which doesn't justify any of what's going on. Like, It's ridiculous. Um, the decision here should have been Kidman going over. I mean, how, how do you not have him win the three matches, have him overcome someone like The Wall? Well, the Wall doesn't have nearly the value that they're trying to demonstrate. He is not this, you know, unstoppable machine that's been just running over the Uh, wcw for many many months or a year or whatever the guy is new he hasn't even had many matches on television to begin with and he's just there because you know they're not really using berlin anymore to have the wall beat kidman makes everything that we just saw earlier worthless Mm -hmm. there's no point in it the wall is not going to get elevated from this because he realistically from a casual fan standpoint should be beating a guy like Kidman who just wrestled twice. He's at least eight inches taller than the guy or six inches taller than Kidman in the size alone. So there's no, there's no, you know, there's no like, oh, yeah, wow, you know, the wall beat Kidman. No one's going to ever say that. It could have been, it could have, I don't even know who it could have been. It could have been Steve Williams in there doing, you know, wrestling Kidman and it would have the same like, oh, well, yeah, Steve Williams is supposed to win this match. The wall is probably supposed to win this match just from size alone. Now, similar to like Tank Abbott, all right, and how that's you know, hopefully is not leading to him and Goldberg whenever he comes back, if he comes back. Um, <laughs> the vibe I'm getting from this, okay, if Sid wins the championship in the main event, if this is some kind of sick, slow build <laughs> to to Sid against the wall, because oh, they're hyping this up as the walls are an unstoppable force, blah, blah, blah. And I can just see it now where it's like Sid's the champion, and it's like, oh, hey, great. I'm, uh, I, can, I can knock down that wall. You know, this is ridiculous nonsense. Now, I say all of this, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to spoil too much for you, but you've already seen it. What happened the next night on Nitro? Sid beat the wall in under three minutes. Mm-hmm. What, what are we doing? What is the what is the point of any of this? You're trying to elevate people, and then you immediately shove them over a cliff, and they fall back down. You tried to elevate the wall in one night, and now he's he's a he's a he he lost to. The, the main event babyface that you have going right now. Clean. In under three minutes. It's a joke. It, they've literally screwed up so many different guys on this show alone. This month alone. That no wonder people are not tuning in to this programming anymore. They're not shedding out money. I don't know why I'm shedding out money at this point. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm sick and twisted. <laughs> I don't know. But... Good lord! They need a complete overhaul. They need fresh eyes or something, a fresh brain. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> Kevin know. Sullivan. I'm sure Kevin Sullivan's had countless concussions from the stuff that he's been doing. Because whatever he's putting out there, same thing with Vince Russo. I'm sure he got dropped on his head a couple of times. These guys do not know how to put on compelling professional wrestling anymore. At one point they did, but now they have no idea what they're doing. And as a viewer, it's incredibly frustrating. None of this should have happened. Kidman should have went over. All right. Shane Douglas can still be pissed off that he can't get one up on any of the filthy animals or whatever. And you continue on from there. But you do not have the wall go over, try to hype him up as this unbeatable force. And then the next night, he gets beat real
2: quick. It just is so stupid. Just nobody gets over. You know, no. this, this was this was built for Kidman to win three matches on the spin to show that he's capable of winning three very different types of match. If they are serious about giving him any sort of push, and they have him lose here to this lump, the wall, who I have no affection for whatsoever. But as you've rightly said, then Bob, if you're going to do something with him, don't have him lose to the man who's going to be your world champion at the end of the month in just three minutes on TV. And this is why there's such a chasm of difference between the big stars and everybody else because no one else is given a chance to close the gap Uh, it is them and us all the time and nobody with the exception of Goldberg and even that you could say was one they lucked into is allowed to even attempt to try to cross that divide, let alone be assisted in any way for doing so. And it is so frustrating that we're talking about the same old names over and over again because they are the stars. They are perceived to be the stars. They are the only people allowed to be the stars. And it doesn't help anybody else at all. And I do feel I almost feel sorry for the war because of it. I definitely feel sorry for Kidman. He didn't really get a chance to show in-ring ability either in the three matches as we've discussed. So... If they were just setting him up to fall in this one, then mission accomplished, I'm afraid to say. Speaking of the same old names, here's Kevin Nash in a semi-main event role against Terry Funk, but I'll give him a free pass. So then, if Terry Funk wins this hardcore match, the NWO will disband. Chance would be a fine thing. If Nash wins, he becomes the commissioner at midnight tonight. Kev meets Funk in the aisle, but Terry is more than happy to throw down in that situation, or any situation. A chair to the back and a head draw out a motherfucker from Uncle Terry, so you know it's the real deal out there. A jackknife onto the announce table affirms that point, and Nash takes the mic. Funk might have a lot of heart, but he has no common sense. But if he can crawl back into the ring, he will get to keep his commissionership funk crawls back in the ring and then nash calls himself a lying son of a bitch a bit of self awareness there nash beats on terry some more and dumps his carcass over the top rope he waits for funk to get in again then nails him with a chair across the back some fans chant in the face but terry blocks the next shot and he takes down nash with a ddt only for a two count they battle on their knees but two gross shots to the head follow funk then responds in kind Two chairs get set up in the ring, but a low blow by Nash allows him to powerbomb Funk through it, and the NWO are still a thing. Bob, I would say I was disappointed by this outcome, but if I'm honest, I saw it coming, so I kind of prepared myself for it. Well, yeah, I mean, no kidding.
3: If people like, uh, you know, Sting or Goldberg or, you know, Ric Flair, if they can't disband the nwo do you really think terry funk is going to be able to him? <laughs> exactly you know probably not okay uh his commissionership lasts what Le- less than a month like two, two weeks i mean a two weeks. Weeks. Th- 13 days exactly. 13 <laughs> days this guy is a commissioner and then he <laughs> he accomplished pretty much nothing uh funk is still a lunatic okay doing the power bomb spot onto the chairs is just nuts you shouldn't be doing that certainly not when you're 54 you probably shouldn't be doing it if you're 24 Uh, to me, I mean, it was just an extended beatdown really for Nash just to beat up an old, an old hardcore legend. That's pretty much what this was. Uh, I guess I enjoyed it. I say that with a question because I don't know if I should have enjoyed it because it was really kind of uncomfortable for, you know, funk to get just destroyed on television like that. Uh, but you know, I feel like the commissionership role is best suited for a heel. That tends that tends to be the situation, uh, but I'll tell you right now, I sure as hell don't think Nash will be commissioner all that long. Uh, you know, this guy is a performer. He's not. I don't. Commissioner Kevin Nash does not really flow well to me. It doesn't seem like it fits the character at all. I don't think the character needs it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he'll get his fix of it for you know a month or two, and then somehow we'll end up on someone else. But I mean, for a hardcore match. It was better than the previous hardcore match, I guess, but the story for this is just ludicrous. It's I, I'm not, it's not something I'm invested in by any means.
2: Yeah, it's telegraphed completely as soon as they mentioned the words NWO and disbands. Right. Yeah, not gonna happen. Yeah. Nash becomes commissioner, being the sole stipulation for this match, might have put the merest modicum of doubt in my mind as to the result. NWO disbands. Uh-uh. We know this is going. The only story. Remained to be told as how much of a beating terry funk would allow himself to be given to get to that finish and the answer was a fucking huge one what we now know is the terry funk tropes were all squeezed into the eight minutes of this match i was going i was just about to stop myself i was about to say then it's hard to watch but, and well it is it is hard to watch of course it is but this is this is terry funk man and He'll be doing this probably long after all of us are gone. (laughs) Wherever he he ends up, he'll be taking chair shots to the head of being powerbombed through tables. Because middle-aged and crazy, as he will always be. And there's no structure to this match at all. There's nothing to really analyse. It's Terry Funk being beaten up the way Terry Funk gets beaten up these days for eight minutes. And that's your lot. Can't really say much more to it, really. But we got what we expected in terms of the meat of the match such that it was and the outcome and that's really all there is to say about it it's like like i said at the start terry funk's going to be here to stay as an active competitor i was going to recommend that he tone it down a bit but do you really think he's going to listen
3: <laughs> no you know the one stipulation that would have made you know i think a reasonable doubt is if you do a hardcore match for the commissioner spot, but it's also a retirement match. That's a, yeah, that's because, a good one, yeah. That's a good you one. You know, Nash retired back in August, oh. and that lasted about three months. Yes, that's, that's a th- good one. And then Funk, you know, usually lasts about seventy-two hours. So you, you you never really know who the hell would retire.
2: We've you know? talked before on these shows, Bob, about you being WCW Booker. You're waiting <laughs> here with us, you know. <laughs> what am one, I doing? One, yeah, one, one day you're going to get the call. Well, I hope. <laughs> Uh, so that was our semi-main event and then we go to uh, interview before our main event with Arn Anderson, he expresses remorse that he wasn't there for funk and from midnight to which is when Nash's leadership begins, the nightmare begins again but as guest referee tonight, he will ensure somebody else gets the power in this company by becoming world champion good stuff from Arn there, so then he is the referee for our main event, for the vacant world heavyweight title It's Chris Benoit eventually versus Sid eventually Not the originally planned match here, but it is what we've got, and let's see how it ends up. Bell rings as Sid tries to grapple in the corner, just as you would do with Chris Benoit. Waist lock attempt gets thrown off, and we have a quick reset. Saturn and David Flair watch by the entranceway. Big clothesline comes slam, hurls Benoit over the top, and a lot of the roster are now checking this one out, both faces and heels, which is good. Gets over the importance of the title. Mega press slam by Sid. He just dropped Benoit with that one and then a gourd buster. Sid is doing stuff in this match. He misses a closed line though and then Benoit drop kicks it in the legs and quickly goes to work on them. Take down on the outside and then he traps the left leg between the steps and the ring post and drop kicks it. Ow. Leathery chops by the crippler and Sid gets tossed back in. Two count administered by double A. Figure of four goes on dead centre of the ring and there seems to be nowhere for Sid to go but he does reverse it. But Benoit reaches the bottom rope. Back up and Chris kicks away at the left leg in the corner and with some considerable force. Dragon screw leg whip and a cover for two. Snap suplex and a rolling elbow but a one count only. Mutalock by Benoit gives Sid a chance to shout no a lot. Again, the ring positioning was superb there. And then some more knee work by Edmonton's finest. The crowd G sit up and he goes into no selling lots of punches mode, which is just what happened to him eight years ago. He misses one of his corn-cutting punches, and we're into the rolling Germans. Well, actually, only German, because Sid blocks the second one and then gets a power slam and a close two count. Benoit with another low drop kick, which he rolls into an ankle lock, and Sid gets the rope again. Release German suplex, and it's headbutt time, three quarters of the way across the ring, but Sid is out at two.
1: He's back! Sid's got him He's going to win this damn thing. God. What a wow. slam. His head bounced off that man like a basketball. The face of Arne Anderson. The reaction said it all. Right in position. He lays on him. One, two. He's in the ropes. Uh, he's actually, he's broken the plate of the ropes. Foot underneath. Wow. That's as good as a foot on the ropes. Sid can't believe it. Sid thought he had him beat. Arn's right. It's a good call. It's a green call. It's the right call. It sinks. He's
2: going to the crossface. face. He's
1: got the crossface face off. Pull back. Pull back. He just turned it. He just turned out. over. We got a new world champion, guys. Benoit wins it. Benoit wins it. Benoit wins it. There it is. Let's get the official word
0: if we can. He's worked all his life for this.
1: an amazing story. But Sid Vicious gave him it all. He's still there, gave him all. The fact is that Sid Vicious had just put him down for that monumental choke slam. He bounced off the mat, but he saved himself being too close to the ropes. And then after he worked on the knee, the way he worked on the knee.
0: To the crippler crop thing. Like I said earlier, guys, mental. you got to be mental in Andrew. Physical is great, but you gotta have your mindset.
2: He had a plan and he won it. Chris Benoit is the world champion at last. After the match, I might as well mention this now. Uh he Talks with Gene, and he thanks Sid for putting up a great fight and tells us of his passion for this business, complete with a pop of people who thought he was too small. I wonder who he meant. Arne congratulates him, and now here comes Nash. At the stroke of midnight, your life becomes a living hell. Hmm, not sure that's the direction he ended up taking. So, as we will get to, Bob, all of this came became almost completely irrelevant 24 hours later. But getting there to give Chris Benoit the world title for such a short time as it was i had fun well i mean they worked a good match they did
3: this is better than fall brawl uh they 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 played to both their strengths pretty well so uh, in terms of match it, it's it's good and, and it would have been good no matter what else i've seen okay earlier than Joe. this is a good overall match um there's a couple of things that were wrong with it number one They were really kind of promoting this as uh, Benoit and Sid are really great friends. Uh, I don't know how in the world we got to that type of context because, like I mentioned, it's just in September of 99 they were feuding. Sid had been a heel up until about the end of November. Uh, So about a month and a half they became best friends. I don't know how the hell that has kind of transpired, but we'll go with it. Um, A good portion of the crowd was chanting for Sid to win this? Of course they Sid, were. Sid, 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 I mean, I love Sid. Who wouldn't? Yeah, I, I was rooting for Sid to win, and, there you I'm go. A, and I'm a Benoit fan. But I was like, come on, Sid, we can do this. Uh, so Sid was, I feel like Sid was the guy that should have went over here. Especially when you have the context of the people know, the guys in the back know that Benoit is not going to be there. He does not want to be there. So I don't know if this was a last-ditch effort to be like, hey, man, I'm putting the bells on you. I'm going to roll with you. Well, you know what, uh, Sullivan or whoever, uh, you had that chance for about four years, and you continually didn't do it. Uh, I have a better spot to go to. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take it. Um, so it just, it just looks horrible because now you have – you have to somehow justify Sid tapping. I know that his leg is underneath the rope, okay, but that doesn't doesn't really excuse the fact that he was tapped out by Benoit. So if you know if Benoit shows up on WF television, uh, you know, people are gonna be like, hey, he made Sid tap. That's the whole general idea of that kind of sucks. Um it's similarly Booker T, you you waited too long. You just you you can't you can't wait for two or three years to uh, to finally strap up the guy when he should have been strapped up a long time ago. Now, do I know a perfect time and when Benoit should have been strapped up? Absolutely not. I don't know. He was never in the upper echelon of like when staying and all those guys were going at it. But I would say at some point in 99, there was probably an opportunity to do it. You know, I think he kind of demonstrated at least an opportunity to show hey we're moving up in the ranks and they were by the end of 99 and stuff like that but when you put in a hated rival the personal hated rival uh in a power position i mean how can someone really stick around for that um but uh again it's a good match but sid is not really helped out here the whole moment with benoit and like you mentioned the tease with Nash saying, you know, come midnight, your life's a living hell. Well, the joke's on you, Nash, because he's not even there. <laughs> so where do you talk? Um, it's just, I don't know. It, it's just typical of WSW stuff. You know, you're just, you're writing. They're literally writing angles that aren't going to be there tomorrow. And they're presenting it on television when you can't deliver it the next day. You know, I honestly, I would have just had Sid win it one, two, three, and then you don't see Benoit moving forward. I guess that would mean that we would have Sid and Kevin Nash as our top feud. Mm-hmm. which you know, it sucked in 95 and it would, I imagine suck now, but at least you have a sensible direction to go with. But. I, to leave it on a positive, it was better than Fall Brawl 99, this mat, their match. It was better than their match at Fall Brawl.
2: It was. And it's probably, well, very safely I would say, Sid's second best match sure. after Survivor Series 96. Yeah. I Very be. easily. Um, he did, I want to make sure I put this point on record, Sid was working in as much as he can in this match. I said that he was doing stuff and he was. Benoit, of course, carried the lion's share of the match, obviously. Anybody listening to this show is going to know that. But Sid was giving good effort in there. And he was making good doing the best to make the most out of his own very limited ability and that's something I've got a lot of time for and he deserves credit for that does the big fella match was built around Sid's power versus Benoit's submission ability and that was a good story and it held throughout which is why I find it just a little strange that Sid tapped out so quickly at the end Benoit had barely got the hold on it was like SummerSlam 91 all over again (coughs) it should have been Sid has managed to withstand all of Benoit's submission attempts, despite him managing to hold him in the middle of the ring, which was great little touches every time. At this time he's holding out, he's holding out, and he just has to tap after, say, 25-30 seconds. I think that would have been a bit more realistic. But then, I can see why they did it, because they needed to have Sid's foot under the rope, and if he'd been in the hole for too long, then the ref would, or Arn Anderson, who sees everything, would or should justifiably have seen it, so you couldn't have told that story. So, I do understand it. I just don't like having your top face tapping within two seconds. But they had to tell this story at that time and it was a good way of getting there. I did not think Benoit phoned it in either. He could have done knowing that he was going to be out the door three hours later. He gave a very strong performance here. Helps it out all the way. Obviously, somebody who will always take a great deal of pride in his work, no matter how much he could be pissed off by the circumstances surrounding it. And that shot of Benoit with the championship, even though he knew himself it was short-lived. That's an image I'm going to I'm going to remember for a long time. Just a slight pockmark of blood on his lips, open mouth, eyes wide, title in hand. Yes, he's finally reached the top of the mountain. It's all for naught. He has to begin that run all over again. He probably doesn't really mind that, but he can always call himself the world champion. We will tie up all those loose ends with where he goes and where the world title goes in a couple of minutes' time. Uh, A good main event, too. Bob, what you were going to tell us is not a good pay-per-view, I hope. And you were going to give us a score rating out of 10 for it. Yeah, I mean, how can you sit here and say it was...
3: I don't know how anybody can sit here and say it, it was good. You, you run down the show, and I'll, and I'll do it really quick. The first match accomplishes nothing. Okay, Vampiro and the tag champions. You job out your tag champions. Fabulous. That's great. And then you have a flat match with you know Vito and uh, the Bull against the Harris Brothers. Nobody cares. Then the debacle and the disgrace of the Oklahoma Cruiserweight Champion segment with uh, Medusa. Complete joke, A worthless, hardcore title match. Who cares? The Bunkhouse brawl. Perry Sera doesn't care. Why should I care? Brothers feuding in the return or debut of Ahmed Johnson. I don't care about any of that. Tank Abbott murders a guy on live television. Great. Get Goldberg in here and, and do it. You botched the last man standing uh, finishing sequence, Bagwell. You did it again. You screwed up. It was okay match, but nothing fabulous. The Wall and Kidman, two, no, one, no one benefited from this in the long run. And by the long run, I mean 24 hours because they messed it up the next night. That's a joke. Uh, the Nash Terry Funk thing is the stipulations for the sake of stipulations to make us feel like we care about it when we don't. This is a feud that has gone on for 13 days, and nothing about it is justifiable. And then we get a good main event, but at the end of the day, within two hours, it means absolutely nothing because your world champion is jumping ship to the competition, and you just jobbed out technically your top babyface now to the guy leaving the company. <laughs> Every single match on this show is a baffling decision. Nobody writing or putting together a television show of professional wrestling. Where's the logic on any of this? Nothing. Nothing here makes sense. Nothing here is long-lasting in terms of entertainment or even justifiably making sense. Because if you eliminate what happens the next night, you could think, okay, the wall is going to have some momentum. Buff Bagwell's going to have some momentum. Benoit finally did it. Now we can start 2000 with Benoit as our top guy after years of, you know, he couldn't beat Booker T to be the damn TV champion. He couldn't beat DDP to be the US champion. And now he's, you know, in the last four months, he finally won the US title. He's finally going to win the big one now. And then the next night they ruin all of it. For, this is ridiculous. Booker T is losing to Ahmed Johnson the next night. Okay, what the hell is going on in this company? I don't know. Sold Out 2000 is an awful, awful professional wrestling show. Is there a decent matches? I guess. I don't know. But the decent wrestling matches make is, is null and void when the decisions behind them have no long-lasting common sense to them, and it benefits absolutely nobody, anybody. You could not ever see this show. And you would never know it even existed, because nothing went on past about 10:58 p.m. that day. This gets zero out of ten. Oh boy, it's a complete waste <sighs> of two hours and you know 45 minutes or of whatever. This is just a, a show where the guys in the bag writing it are just giggling to themselves because they're just like, "We're this makes no sense, dude. Give me another hit of that joint because this makes no sense and people paid for it." There's somehow like 14,000 people in attendance or something, and they all got suckered into it. 14,132 people in Cincinnati, Ohio watched this show live. I don't even know how many people got it on pay-per-view. I know I'm one, and you're two. So these two of us did. <laughs> wow. Okay. Might have been many more. Yeah. This is a joke. <laughs> if, if, if negatives were allowed, I'd give this a negative 100 but since these guys are human beings and they put their
2: bodies at risk, I'll just give them a generous zero. This is a <laughs> joke. Wow, I think we might be on course for a record here then. You know, I can't really allow negatives because it just screws up the averages, but a zero. How many zeros have we had in the past? The aforementioned November to Remember 98 famously got a zero from from Eric. I know every time Chris watches a WCW pay-per-view, he wants to give it a zero. So there is some precedent here. Everything you've said about what this pay-per-view meant or came to mean, I entirely take on board. Like so many shows, we talk about it, oh, it was all rendered moot 24 hours later. That's especially the case here. The entire pay-per-view was rendered virtually irrelevant, with the possible exception of Nash being commissioner. And if that's what you're hanging your hat on, you have got problems. Very good is probably where the match quality topped out at. That's probably the main event. And very good is high apex level that I can award it maybe that's even a touch generous but we'll go with it for now not really many other good performances the storylines that we do get led into the next day are not ones I want to see Ahmed Johnson winning matches that sort of thing so I can't go for a zero on this occasion but I'm not going to go much higher I'm going to go for a one and a half which is the same I went for Halloween Havoc i'd say this is marginally a better in ring show than that was but the booking what the booking meant i should say just pissed me off just as much as that one giving us an average of 0.75 which i do think has to be a record so well done bob well done indeed you set the record low score after six and a half years of this project i can't wait to see what i've done something you. something good has come out of this or something laudable at least has come out of this pay-per-view yes for me one and a half for another wretched WCW pay-per-view well, we have two very important loose ends to tie up and they both intertwine so Chris Benoit was the world champion at the end of sold out 2000 as I'm sure you will now be aware and if you've heard our WWF show you very much will be he is now working for the competition along with Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko Uh, The boys talk at length about what they're going to do, what they think they're going to do in the WWF on that show. So do check it out if you haven't. So I'll briefly fill in a couple of gaps here for you onto what went down. Benoit was given the world title placated, if you like, by his old nemesis, Kevin Sullivan. It didn't work. Uh, some accounts say that Benoit slammed the belt down as soon as the cameras were off on Sold Out 2000. Some say he turned up the next day on Nitro just to hand the belt over. Whatever, he was not going to be presented as their champion on television anymore. And he walked along with Mrs Guerrero, Saturn, Malenka and Shane Douglas. Vince McMahon, of course, got wind of this and he spoke to four of the guys even if you didn't know, you would know you would be able to guess who the odd man out was. Uh, according to Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer, Shane Douglas noticed that his four buddies were not around that day, so he called the Malenko, asking where he was. Malenko blew him off with a couple of lame excuses. In reality, Malenko was in Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut, Titan Towers, to be precise. <laughs> Douglas did not find out the truth until a couple of days later. Ah, oh, poor Shane. Franchise dated him a long time ago, and I don't know. So he was frozen out of the negotiations, but because all of the other four guys had walked and were effectively free agents, Vince was able to snap them up, so they were able to appear on WWF Raw on the final day of January, uh, beating up the Road Dogs. so a very auspicious start for them there, and aligned with Cactus Jack. So, Bob, we're going to keep this one brief because they talk about it a lot on the WWF show. And, of course, they're no longer my concern here for WCW. But regardless of the reasons, because these four five, poor Douglas, have been champing at the bit to get away for many, many months now. They finally got their wish. But from WCW's perspective, what does this do to the state of their roster now when you lose... You lose the mid card. Use mid. Excuse me. You lose the mid card and you lose somebody who, for whatever reason, just happened to be your world champion. And they are now working for the competition. It's the writing is on the wall, is it not? Uh, it has to be. I mean, for a while, uh, I think we. I think
3: we could agree that WWF for a, a couple of years there had better storylines and better uh, angles to get us invested, but WSW always had the better in-ring stuff. I think that for a good portion of like the of the 90s, I think we could, as a general thing, could 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 go with that. And for the Monday Night uh, Wars, you know, Benoit, Guerrero, Saturn, Malenko, those guys contributed to if they're wrestling on a Nitro or a Thunder or Saturday Night or whatever the case, you're guaranteed a great match or a good match, a compelling match. Oftentimes they'd be against each other. Uh, you know what? And you can even throw uh, you know Jericho in there you know, that has recently departed as well for dead Dead. of This completely depletes the roster. When you lose those four guys, uh, your undercard is just, is gone. I mean, who there, there's no one waiting in the wings to replace them because those are the guys that were waiting in the wing in the wings to replace your, uh, your old main eventers. So that next level of people is gone. So now your bottom layer of, of guys, you know, there's a like Canyon or something, you know, guys of that nature are supposed to now fill that void. And the, there, there's no attachment to those, to a guy like Canyon, who's a good worker, but you're, you're, you've lost four huge pieces of your mid card or upper mid card in one night. Uh, this is going to be damaging because now you're have to, you going to have to go outside of the company to find people to fill that void. I'm not sure who would want to come in to WSW, seeing as how they're treated, some of the, the younger talent there. Um, and, and obviously the behavior of the booking for guys like Booker T uh, and Kidman is not very encouraging uh, to, to help kind of lessen the blow. This is going to be monumentally horrible, I think, for WWE television because for me those are four guys that I purposely looked forward to watching, and now they're gone. So unless I want to watch, you know, Lex Luger, you know, have bad wrestling matches, or I want to watch Hulk Hogan do the same uh, routine that he's been doing for 15 years uh WCW television is going to come I feel like it's going to come across very bland and stale and WWF just got much hotter in their in ring now with those four guys all those fresh matchups that they have going on I mean how do you not go and want to tune into WWF if my four loyal guys that I've been liking since the beginning of this whole you know war have now jumped ship there's really nothing left for me
2: with WCW and that's that's a sucky thing to say really all too true it's where, where do they go from here now wcw can't call themselves a wrestling promotion anymore really not really i mean they've still got a few good names left but as we said in the sold out 2000 review they don't use them properly and i don't trust them to suddenly you know, the way they've treated kidman on that show people like Hoovy, whatever now they're still knocking around but what saturday nights even if it wasn't before I know for, cert- know for certain now that Saturday night and maybe the odd Nitro Showcase is the best they're going to get. They've lost not only four high-quality in-ring workers, but people who are believable. I could Malenko and Saturn in this as well. People who are believable in upper-mid card-slash-main-event situations. So not only have you lost great, great matches, you've lost potentially main events here as well and yes we could say they've been held down for too long stuck in the mid card where they shouldn't be all of that stuff is true we've talked about that for many many months and that hasn't changed here but all of these four you could see realistically in that situation benoit was just the day before for example and now they've gone and what they bring to the ring has gone as well i don't see what world championship wrestling recover from this now to be honest i don't see the likes of kevin sullivan uh, Dusty Rhodes whoever else is on the committee these days scouring the earth for high quality fresh talent to try to replace these guys they don't have the scouting network you haven't got Paul Haven in his little black book not going to happen so we are stuck with who we're stuck with <coughs> could this have been avoided if they treated them better over the last year or so maybe it could have done but it's no good crying over spilled milk they've gone to the Fed as you say so many more potential dream matches there with jericho's over there as well now now this kurt angle fellow gets better every week they could be if ww uphold their storylines which at least at the main event level they're still very very good there are issues elsewhere on the card but very very good and up the in ring one or two levels as well then you know wcw will not be able to see them for dust quite simply it'll be all over Bar the shouting, if it isn't already, uh, this could be one of the fatal hammer blows. Yet another self-inflicted one to add to the litany of self-inflicted blows WCW have given themselves over the last many many years, and this could be the death knell. And yet, and yet, we have one more thing to finish off. One, what maybe the final chink of light, and that is the current holder of the world title. So with Benoit out the door, we needed a new world champion. And when Sid defeated the wall, as we've discussed in three minutes on Nitro, the day after, he was in a position to be the number one contender, as long as he beat our friends the Harris brothers on Nitro the next week, which he did, then facing Kevin Nash for the world title. You will hear what happened at the end of this program. Beating Nash very cleverly in six minutes to become the champ. Okay, so we finally got there. I'm going to gloss over this. On Thunder, they did a ridiculous stipulation where they said that or explanation that sid had pinned the wrong harris brother like i said in my pay-per-view review who can tell the difference anyway so Sid was stripped of the title and then he ended up facing nash and the other harris brother and eventually getting the title back on nitro it's hard to keep track of all this stuff and i watched it all but i think i'm right in saying that as we move into february sid is the world champion bob so let's try and finish on a high sid as world champ as elongated and convoluted as it was to get there what do you think uh, well, I love Sid. Okay, I,
3: I do. I, I've I've always been a fan of Sid. Uh, he's probably the right choice um, compared to anybody else that's on the roster. He's the top baby face. He was entertaining when he was a delusional heel that thought you know he could overcome Goldberg's uh, undefeated streak. So uh, I think from a star power decision too, it's probably the right move to go in. Um, I. I mean, you're not going to get great matches out of him unless it's with a guy like Benoit or something. So, you know, every, like what we just mentioned in the last segment was uh, this will be beneficial to have Sid in this role because now WCW is going to be kind of working with the approach of like this is wrestling from 1985. It's going to be that type of style. Uh, the main event scene is going to be like that. So it's going to be beneficial for Sid anyway. It's going to hide a lot of his flaws. Um, so I don't, I don't hate it. But the way that we got there, uh, I think, kind of hurt the value of him to have him lose, uh, or have him tap out, I should say, to uh, to Benoit, leading into it, and then this whole fiasco, like you said, with the Harris brothers. I mean, I don't even know how, why either one of them, let alone both of them, are involved in a world title scenario. I I know Kevin Ash is, I know he's the commissioner, and he can insert anybody. But it just shows you how much of a moron that Kevin Nash is as a commissioner that he would somehow insert the Harris brothers to help him kind of overcome Sid Vicious. I mean, I whatever. I mean, it's just ludicrous. It makes no sense. It makes everybody look foolish. Uh, but, you know, Sid is, is a champion. I can get behind it. He's a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, so it should be interesting to see how that plays out because he's a – to me, he's a fascinating character and – if it isn't a guy like Goldberg or you know maybe Nash or something, like who who's gonna beat him? You know who who can beat Sid Vicious? He still has that type of uh, draw to him to an extent for me. So uh, if there's anything to really take away from this whole month of WCW, it's you know Sid is being is you know being the champion. Who is gonna be the challenger? Who is gonna dethrone him? Who's gonna have that potential chance of doing it? So that there is that level of interest, uh, but. In the grand scheme of things, it's really tough to kind of get into anything WCW wise. But at least they put the belt on Sid, so I, I don't have to be a
2: complete you know miserable person about it. <laughs> oh, you're doing a good impression of one. Not that I can blame you. Um, <coughs> yeah, Sid, Sid, Sid was the only the only cab left on the rank at this point, really. If you want the title on a face, and I think it's about time they did that and kept one on a face, then Sid's your best option. As we talked about, there's nobody else even close to him on the babyface side anyway, unless you want to drop down and you have yet another long heel run as champ, as we so often do in this territory. Then it's Nash, and we don't want that, or Jarrett, and I don't want that. So, you know, Sid was the only option. I hope he gets a decent run with the belt. Fans are just with him. He has this unspeakable, in every sense of the phrase, unspeakable charisma. I've tried and failed on these programs before to try to describe it. It's just there. It just is. Everybody else just goes with it. So, so will I, and so should you. If you're one of the very few people, that, one of the very few Sid Doubters out there, don't be. He's, he's great. Just don't ask me to explain why or how he is great. But he's the champ now. I'm give a stupid extra story along with the Harris brothers because they've got to fill the television time somehow. As long as he doesn't drop, you know, if he drops the belt to Nash, Jarrett okay i won't be happy but i need to remind myself he could be dropping it to the harris brothers and with wcw lesser of two evils or four evils in this case is really much where you should go but well done sid got a pretty big responsibility on his shoulders now with the company being in a dire straits it is but if anybody can sid can a reputable pair of shoulders and of course half the brain that you do I feel like I've got half the brain that anybody else does after those two hours, Bob. So I think it's time to call it a nice. Um, thank you for joining me for this one. I, I, We know how to pick them, don't we? Yeah, we really do. We're just, we just <laughs> love punishment, apparently. Massacres that we are. Bob, what else have you got going on?
3: Well, you know, the same old stuff. I still got my website, WrestlingRecaps.com, for a, a variety of reviews, including a show like Sold Out 2000 and all the TVs leading up to it and whatnot. I uh, also got a podcast with my buddy Austin Skinner, Icopod, Icopod.podbean.com. It's on all your uh, podcast uh, servers and stuff like that. We uh, are covering, well, we're at the end of 94 for uh, the WWF. We just finished up uh, the MSG house show. Uh, we're doing a live watch format now, so we're not just you know taking notes and talking about it. Because it turns out even some WWF stuff is rough to get through, and it's just easier for us. So it's more of a live watch of us doing commentary on it and uh just enjoying it from there and then uh when we get into 95 we're actually going to have a third person joining it my buddy Ooh. dallas who i call hogan 98 money because oh wow he's gonna be on the show oh wow full time wow yeah he uh he's a graphic designer and he uh, always is kind of trying to charge me just way too much money for a freaking design so that's how he <laughs> came up with hogan 98 money so th- he's got a microphone and everything so in about a couple of weeks now he'll uh Will be joining Icopod full time, I guess, and uh, we'll sense. be enjoying the wild ride of the WWF in 1995. Something that I am personally very excited for. I know Austin is too because uh, he hasn't seen a lot of this stuff. Uh, he like started oh. watching. He started watching wrestling in, like 2002, uh, so the whole this whole uh, project is a lot of fun, especially to see his first natural reaction to a lot of stuff. So 95, I've been hyping up to him and. I'm telling you, anybody that's listening to this, and Rory, maybe you'll agree, a lot of people consider 95 to be an awful year for WWF. But when you compare it to a lot of other years, there's some hidden gems in there. A lot of big names came through in 95 that really shaped the foundation years of the Attitude Era and stuff like that. So uh, it should be a lot of fun to to go through, and I hope people listening to Wrestling 20 years ago will give Icopod a chance because I think 95 is going to be the best year Uh, for that
2: project i am very much looking forward to that i can't wait to hear his views on mantor king of the ring 95 all the old favorites yeah he he hasn't lived until he's come across these but now that's finally he's going to get a chance yeah he he can't wait and i'm telling you it's going to be
3: great because i feel like the first you know five months or so isn't too bad but once you get to i mean no spoilers but i mean everybody listening to this knows because it's less than 20 years ago but uh once he gets to the you know king mabel era Mm. uh that might be his tipping point so that should be fun to
2: oh, just watch. kind of <laughs> just kind of enjoy that so that should be fun. if he gets past that then he'll be able to <laughs> yeah zoom into 96 97 uh, just uh, uh let you know where you can find us we're on twitter at wrestling 20yrs on facebook as well uh do check out the archive if it's the first show you've come across the shows going all the way back to august 1993 summer slam of that year. Uh, we've got some bonus content out there as well. You can find that we did a Q and A. Uh, myself, uh, the two Chris's, answered some of your questions a couple of months ago. We've got all our end of year review shows as well, including our one from last month, which caused a lot of controversy. Oh dear, I'm still haven't really recovered from that one yet. But do check that one out. And do check out our January shows for 2000 if you would missed them. They're WWF looking at Royal Rumble, of course, and Guilty as Charged is focused on for ECW. Well, now I think I'm just about ready to tap out very quickly myself after two hours I was in that particular hold. <laughs> Bob, thank you very much for joining me today. Of course, thanks for having me. My pleasure, and we will see you again very soon. Good night, everybody.
1: Oh, here comes the US Champ Jeff Jarrett. Remember, the power of Bobby has been outlawed. And Jared gets hammered! Nice! Name that tune! Gets locked. What? Sid goes down, what's he doing Wait, here? What happened to Sid? I figured maybe be playing possum, guys. You maybe may be... he's just luring him in.
0: Let's oh, I draw. understand,
1: I understand what's going on. You see the guitar. Sid's making the referee believe he got hit with the guitar. What a what a smart move this was by Stick Vicious. He's a smart man, and he's on his way to the
0: championship of the world. He's gonna cover Kevin Nash. One, two, three. He he got got it. Him.